Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. baby. Man. Mm-hmm. It's feeling baby, good this baby. week, man. Is that what you got in your mind? Is that Amy Grant? Yeah. My God, they should play that song over the footage of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. (laughs) Baby, baby, I got a new emotion. Honestly, it's a good way to sell it. Yeah, fear, dread. It's so hard to sell it. But I was looking at the information last week and I had this thought and I had to realize Marcus's Oppenheimer, Mm. Kissel's Leslie Groves. Yes. Yeah. He's Leslie Groves and I'm the genius Albert Einstein. (laughs) <laughs> that's me well i definitely think we all we all have the similar eating habits of those people yeah you know so how, that's fantastic I, I got the little like it's the little einstein kind of lingy tongue the- <laughs> 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 yeah you really you really do hey everyone welcome to last podcast of the left Ben, hanging out with henry and marcus my goodness you're not gracious you're not with well, me no. today as a matter of fact, this is old school. It Back is. in the day when Henry became a big celebrity oh, and had to move stop. to Los Angeles and yeah. leave us the little slugs back in New York City. I remember. We had to do it this way where Henry is out of the room. Henry is actually in the crux of Scientology right now, in the clutches of Scientology in Clearwater, Florida. I, I'm not going to say that there was several recording studios that denied my request for and this is real there were several recording studios mm-hmm. that denied my request to record there and then i had we went go through i was like look at the addresses they're all right next to the death star in downtown clearwater <laughs> it's so weird man but yeah i'm ready man i'm, I'm feeling the heat that atomic level heat yeah man you don't have to worry about recording in no studio that has pictures of the scientology jazz band in the lobby you don't need that shit i don't need it but it would have been nice honestly they look nice but here at soul studios is absolutely incredible you see that it's like place plug it's a good plug there you go good plug with any luck you walk in there they'll think you're l ron hubbard <laughs> okay well speaking <laughs> of death star let's get on to part three of the manhattan project So when we last left the Manhattan Project, the science and engineering side of the endeavor was well on its way to success, although it would take a further year and a half of trial and error before they completed construction of the bomb itself. But the thing about that year and a half of science and engineering 
is that it's a year and a half of science and engineering mm, that mostly yeah. involves the minute details of uranium refinery, firing mechanisms, and various <laughs> other atomic bric-a-brac. Yeah, borium, uh, chlorophyll, more like fill my fucking ass. Uh, that's why we're doing a little bit of skip around, and we'll get Good. back to Robert Oppenheimer when it's interesting again. Yeah, the juice really comes from the Trinity test. So we're okay. going to wait until the juice is flowing real hard and real fancy. Fantastic. Therefore, for this episode, we're going to shift to the side of the Manhattan Project that was ultimately unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> it is sad because it's the funner side in terms of like action and adventure and all that kind of shit. But it's, it is the unsuccessful side. It was bad. Yeah. They did it well, all I wrong. Mean, I would not say unsuccessful. It was successful, mm -hmm. just unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I would say this is more a story of war. What is it good for? What is it good for? Music? Uh, <laughs> making money? Power? GPD? But otherwise, yeah. nothing. Yeah. So from a perspective of an artist, this is when back in the day you'd fill out your writing packet, send it into Jimmy Fallon and say he's going to love it, but they never read it. Yep. But you did a good job. Yep, that exactly. That's <laughs> An incredible analogy, actually. Yes. Good work. <laughs> but this side did end up accomplishing something that was wildly important to the history of the 20th century. It's just that they did so halfway by coincidence. Hmm. This is the rest of the story of the Bastard Brigade, the men who would partly make up the Manhattan Project's espionage, reconnaissance, and recovery wing. And cool. again, read The Bastard Brigade by Sam Keen. It gets our highest recommendation and tells a far more human World War II story than what you're probably used to. It's really good. It's highly readable. Like, I flew through the first 300 pages of The Bastard Brigade. It's it's a fun adventure. It's Tarantino-esque. You can kind of see he must have stumbled upon this material when he was working towards Inglorious Bastards because it yeah. kind of has that feel of, like, ragtag, a bunch of people who, like, shouldn't be doing extremely important jobs doing them <laughs> in a way that you can't teach. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like that naivete and lack of skill is sometimes extremely powerful. Yep. Also a fantastic film if you just want to see a bunch of Nazis burning alive in a movie theater. Yeah. Rarely can you see footage like that and celebrate publicly. Yeah. But you can when it's Nazis. I was going to say, if I was going to be arrested for anything, espionage. I could say, <laughs> hey, I'll be a honey trap. I'll go to Washington, yeah. D.C. Tell me, little girl, have you ever been to see the Washington Monument? <laughs> you're an incredible, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. I could also put on a dress. I could do a whole series of different things with a lot of questionable politics. Oh, you're not wearing a dress? Oh, you're not wearing, what is this? Oh, it's a very loose shirt. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of soft clothing. I'm sorry. Mm. I thought, I thought that you were just a seven-breasted woman. Another honey pot potted. <laughs> Now, if you'll remember from episode one, the British had attempted to blow up the Norsk hydro plant in Norway because it was producing heavy water that ostensibly could be used in what they thought was a rapidly advancing Nazi nuclear program. Mm -hmm. But as we know, the Nazi nuclear program stalled in 1942, lurching along in ultimately futile fits and starts right up until the very end of the war. The Allies, however, were still operating under the assumption that the Nazis were ahead of them in every respect, so they acted accordingly. Hey, hmm. if you were going to overshoot a project during any time period, this really was <laughs> right. the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Also lurching uh, to the tall community. That is a derivative of the L word, <laughs> which is lurch. And I I will open doors for people, but I don't need the responses. And also, I don't need to be called Hodor. So if you're going to mention that, please give me a heads up Man. so I can be prepared. I, the H for your for you, truly, Hodor should be the H word. Because <laughs> it is the H word. Unfortunate how many times I hear it. And it's like, okay, all right. Technically, he, sp he speaks for a living. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's just this, he just displaces the same amount of well, water as the actor who plays Hodor. I am. Asked my friend, I said, "What is that a compliment or a diss?" He said, "Well, everyone loves him, but he is the R word." <laughs> yes, he very much so. Yeah, and it happens a lot at comic book conventions. When we were at WonderCon, there was somebody in the elevator with us that just straight up called you Hodor, yep. and then like it felt bad. It, it was did. weird. It felt it no, felt right. real bad, yeah, just like I the felt, Manhattan Project. <laughs> I felt the like the weird sense of like, whoa! So this is what racism's all about. <laughs> Whoa, incredible. Yeah. Now, the first mission to blow up the Norsk Hydro plant, Operation Freshman, that had been a massive failure that had resulted in the deaths of 30 British commandos. These deaths had occurred either during the botched landings of their suicide gliders or at the hands of sadistic Nazi commanders. Worst possible fucking ending to a mission you can imagine. Well, additionally, the other fuck-up was that Operation Freshman also made it clear to the Nazis that the Allies knew about their atomic program, which implied that the Americans had their own atomic program. Yeah. But a year later, the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare... I hate decided, it. I hate <laughs> it, man. You don't, you don't uh, want to be a part of the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare? These fucking British, again, they invented imperialism. They're like, what are the people <laughs> yeah. that did that? And so they're all like, spying. Because that got to us, right? We had this idea in America that spying was ungentlemanly, right? Like, we we didn't want to do it. But the British were way ahead of us, man. They were already doing yeah. that shit for years. We learned it from them. Yeah, but nobody was ahead as the Russians, though. The Russians no. have been doing spycraft for centuries. I do like the name. I think it's fun. I like it, too. Yeah. I think it's very fun. It seems like they have knives in their canes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they decided that the Allies had no choice but to give Norsk Hydro another go. because, And this was also partly because this sort of action, this was about all Britain could do to contribute to the overall nuclear effort. See, their nuclear program, Project Tube Alloy, Ugh. had been stymied <laughs> Still one of the worst names of a project in World War II. Yeah. It really is. It had been stymied by German bombing. So the Brits helped pick up the slack by preventing the Germans from producing the bomb. And they also took on the task of sneaking European scientists out of Europe, just like they did with Niels Bohr. Oh, and you know how difficult that is with their creaky bones. <laughs> and their big and heads. We, yes. hey, oh, and Niels, Niels Bohr is just anti-intelligence. He just does not <laughs> understand that what secrets are because his head was just so big. He just assumes everybody's inside it. <laughs> oh, you just see him in Prometheus, the film, as his face is right against the, the uh, helmets. Man, this is true. We're covering all of the Manhattan Project history that's not going to be in the Oppenheimer movie. Because, you know, the no. Oppenheimer movie is all about that dusty skeleton man eating pussy next to a nuclear reactor. And it's mostly oh. going to be them all like, not, we're going to be, huh, you don't have any idea how much it's going to be Oppenheimer saying goodbye to the woman that commits suicide for like, and you're just like, oh, oh just be like, get back. To the explosions. Do you want to know a synchronicity with the Oppenheimer film? Sure. It comes out on my birthday. Wow. July wow. 21st. Wow. Hopefully that's the only one and we won't have 
a nuclear war. Well, actually, yeah. you know, we got right here is the creator of the second biggest bomb in the world. It's called his comedy career. Come on, Kissel. Come on. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Yeah. What did I, I think it was you, that? I thought yeah. it was going to be a bowel joke. I thought it was going to be a defecation joke. I thought yeah. for sure because I just took a massive dump today because I'm on a DiGiorno kick. <laughs> oh, is that the new diet? Yeah, it's the DiGiorno kick diet, which is one DiGiorno a day keeps the doctor at bay. <laughs> well, back to Norse Kytro. While the British would organize what came to be known as Operation Gunnerside, it would not be British commandos doing the dirty work. Rather, the job of blowing up the power cells at Norsk would be given to local Norwegian soldiers and resistance fighters. Hmm. This needs to be a movie. This whole it story. Is, is, yeah. there's, there's like three movies that are based on this. Good, good. I did not know. Yeah. I was looking that up. Yeah. So is that really What movies? Uh, they're all Norwegian. Um, we all ski naked. Is that one? What's the other one called? <laughs> called like, oh, I hate my vacation. Yeah, that that's not a bump. That's a medical problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Film. Oh yeah, the that's Heroes of film. Telemark was a 1965 movie. That must have been boring as hell. And there's also a movie yeah. called The Heavy Water War, which is just oh, oh man, that looks boring as fuck. Ah, come on, Norwegians, this all looks dumb. That reminds me, my uh, my older brother Chris was anorexic, and I got him the the movie heavyweights for his birthday as a funny joke as a funny do you yeah. knew he was you knew yeah he was you know, nano he was a model he was a model he was a model in italy and you thought this was funny that he would think it was funny or did you do it because you thought it was i funny? thought it was funny he wasn't offended or anything he's just like i don't even get it i was like because you're fucking anorexic the movie's called yeah, heavyweights yeah, great. and i like how the clear up is actually probably what then makes it offensive yeah. you know what i mean because then you have to explain why it's offensive and then yeah. he has to sit there and needs to go like i'm his younger brother i can do this did you sit like sit outside of his door and play all you can eat by the fat boys no, like no no but we did watch the disorderly orderlies yeah and uh yes i used to see there's a scene that involves a lady oh you can eat Ain't that a treat? And over and over <laughs> again. Yeah. Let's <laughs> move on. Now, when it came to Nazi collaboration in World War II, the government of Norway unfortunately has a reputation for hard capitulation. Mm. To wit, the man who weaseled his way into power when the Nazis blitzed Norway was named Vidkun Quisling. Mm. Yeah. God, it sounds like a Twizzler with cancer. <laughs> he definitely looks like a boob. Yeah, you yeah. know he looks like a deflate. He looks like one of my tits with a hat on. You know what I mean? He's very deflated. He's got kind of a ruddy complexion. Aww. Well, Quisling capitulated so hard to the Nazis that his surname is now a dictionary listed noun, meaning a traitor who collaborates with an enemy force occupying their country. Wow, is that also like bootlicker? Yeah, that's a very offensive term. Oh, bootlicker can be any any manner of thing. Bootlicker can be like a man who uh, owes allegiance to his boss, even like the boss of a corporation, even though the boss yeah. has no feeling for him. Sure. Yeah, that's what I normally think of a bootlicker as, like hey, that fucking guy yeah. in the new Zelda game who's holding up all the fucking signs for a boss who doesn't give a shit about him. He doesn't even know who the fuck you are. Why no are you idea. holding up signs all over Hyrule? And I, I gotta come know. along and I gotta fucking help you fix these fucking signs, you fucking bootlicker. You I'm fucking just, bootlicker. I'm just. Yes. Okay. Zelda is actually the name of the princess. I uh, Link. Yeah. Link is actually the main character. I heard that bootlicker was the name. It was a, it was a Native American moniker for the first ever uh, sub. 
in a uh, <laughs> tribe. All right, fantastic. Marcus is oh, stiffer. It's the second. It was, they also <laughs> did <it> sometimes. <laughs> really good. No, Kuzling was tried as a traitor and executed by firing squad after the war. So he got what was coming to him. That yeah. happens. It was crazy for a Norwegian to be turned into Swiss cheese. <laughs> Comedy career made in a lab. I'm made, made in, in a lab. Scientology can't fucking kill me, dude. <laughs> no, they can't. But it would be wrong to paint all of Norway with the same brush as Quisling, because the Norwegian resistance movement was one of the most ferocious and well-organized of World War II. At 40,000 strong, they called wow. themselves the Milorg. Cool and that. It's just that I don't know what it means in Norwegian, but it sounds cool as shit. It does. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like, like a death metal band. Yeah, it sounds like something that lives in the mines of Moria. Milorg. And their ferocity was largely fueled by Nazi brutality. Mm. For example, Norwegians could be executed for having something so innocuous as a bag of British baking flour. As was mentioned in the Bastard Brigade, one village was burned to the ground after a single bag of British flour was found. And as far as the people in that village went... 18 men were executed on the spot and the rest were sent to concentration camps. Oh my God. Honest question. How the fuck do they know the ethnicity of the flower? Truly, the it's probably comes it, in. The bag. It probably has some, a Union Jack on it or something, a name of a British company. And this is like, because they were trying to very fully stamp out all, because of how strong the movement was to fight the Nazis from within Norway, they were they try to punish them as often as possible by doing that, where it's like, we kill everybody for one infraction. Wow. In other words, Norway had a few grudges to settle. Yeah. And a handful of Norwegians got the chance with Operation Gunnerside. Cool. Now, instead of a commando force of 30 British soldiers making a direct assault on the plant, the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare decided to use Norwegians. And in the process, they played to Norwegian strengths. Oh, yeah. They got big bottom women. They don't like clocks. Norway likes, oh, God, Wait. fjords. They used the fjords. And then black you got metal. black metal. Yeah, oh, and yeah. ships. I also think they like ships and, uh, and vessels of the sea, don't they? Pickled Very fish. Much so. A lot of pickled fish there. Yeah, does, this, fish? does the plant involve pickled fish? <laughs> no. The new oh, plan was... No, Who absolutely gives a not. shit? Who cares, man? Perhaps they had pickled fish along for the ride as rations. Mm. So maybe pickled... I cannot confirm nor deny the existence of pickled fish in Operation Gunnerside. Okay. You know who is one of my least favorite things about Norway is what else they gave us was Garrison Keeler. God, I Garrison hate Keeler. I fucking hate Garrison Keeler. Prairie Home Companion. I, it's I it's a comforting it. Saturday afternoon. I yeah. hated Prairie Home Companion. God, I hate that had show. A, I hate yeah. their little voices. I hate quiet radio. I hate the. Oh well, let's see what Terry has to say. <laughs> you know, like, like, I hate yeah. I hate that type of comedy where he just goes like, "These rutabagas are they're green," and everyone goes, <laughs> <laughs> "Rodney, I hate hate." Well. Garrison sure. Keeler. Garrison just lives a small, recluse life now, I believe, in Minnesota. Yeah. No small back is safe around Garrison Keeler. There he did go. Well, the new plan was to use 10 resistance fighters who also happened to be expert skiers who could quickly ski their way to the plant after being parachuted to the ground. Oh, James Bond. Yeah. Then I wonder they'd... if that scene Inception was based on this. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I mean, it was all, I think it was also used in the beginning of True Lies, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of skiing. Skiing skiing commandos are fun. Yeah. Yeah, some boobs. 
After getting to the plant, they'd break in, plant explosives on the heavy water power cells, and hopefully cripple German heavy water production. Oh, dude, that's cool. Metal is also reminding me of Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. I don't think they got to worry about heavy water being created because they had Sergeant Kissel somewhere there. And as long as he kept his latrine filled, he was making that heavy, heavy water. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you, Henry. (laughs) So on the night of February 27th, in the dead of the Norwegian winter, the team skied to the location, staffed their skis in an igloo they made themselves, hmm. and scaled a 600-foot-tall sheer cliff at the back of the plant to avoid guard posts. Because the Nazis are like, wow. nobody's fucking crazy enough to scale up that there's no, they didn't even, it didn't even cross their mind that someone could do this. Wow. Which, and again, what fueled them was truly pure ignorance then met with like, oh, we can do this. Like, they did not truly understand that it was in the bottom of a crag. Like, this thing was literally, like, perfectly safe from any sort of overhead bombing. And so they that whole breakdown in the Bastard Brigade of them, like, trying to figure out, like, okay, can you even climb this fucking wall that surrounds this thing? And the one was being like, if there are plants growing, then there are places for our hands to go. And so then they went, and then that's where they figured. <laughs> so they would just look for the plants. That's It's crazy. in the blinding wow. snowstorm. Yeah. That's interesting. After following Nazi patrol routes to hide their tracks, the Norwegians found an unguarded gate and cut the lock, whereafter five men provided cover while the demolition team cut a hole in the fence to gain access to the plant itself. But when they got through the outer perimeter, the team found that contrary to their advanced insider intelligence, every door and window had been bolted shut. Improvising, they found a utility duct and crawled their way to the room where the heavy water was both stored and produced. Wow. It's crazy, man. They're doing like Persona 5 Royal shit. Yeah. When you know when you have to like do that. It's all with the Metal Gear Solid too. We yeah. have to find a lot of vents. Yeah, a lot of vent use. Also with the Arkham Asylum, uh, with the Batman game, which is actually why I don't really love the Batman game. The Batman game is 90% vents. I a know. lot of vents. Yeah. 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 Well, after dropping 15 feet from the ceiling to the floor... The commandos snuck up on the only guard. Improbably, the Nazis had left a frumpy old Norwegian man named Gustav to guard what was supposed to be the Nazis' most treasured scientific resource. Are you looking for the fat boy water? Thank you, Gustav. Thank you, Gustav. He just definitely seems like the Milton from Office Space, where it's like, okay, Gustav, we're going to go party. You stay here and have the guard of the water. He did not give a fucking shit. Because then, because I'm basically a prisoner here, too. You know, I'm being forced to watch this thing by Nazis. So he's like, yeah, just do it. Also, just get it done. You're watching water. Yeah. It's real boring. Yeah, of course. And so Gustav was held captive in a corner while the demolition team placed enough explosives to blow up all 18 fuel cells and 770 pounds of heavy water. The worst was when they started tickling me. They were tickling (laughs) me in the corner. I couldn't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing I knew, it got bigger and bigger. And it was me and five skiers. And all it takes is one pole to make a little bit of a side war party. (laughs) <laughs> they made fun of it well Gustav the entire time he's like uh, please be careful around there that if you are not careful around there you're going to hurt the heavy oh I see what you're doing okay oh yeah. my goodness mm-hmm. like he didn't it took him a while to figure out that they had showed up to destroy the plant right and so after planting all the explosives they took Gustav with them 
And at 1.13 a.m., two hours after they climbed that sheer cliff, they lit the fuse and the cells went Boom! Whoa. Mission accomplished! Sweet. But they also knew that the Nazis were going to come and round up everybody within like 100 miles of the plant. So what they were doing was, as they went, they ripped off a patch. They had Brit- They were all dressed like British soldiers, so they ripped off the British stuff. It's like, it's cool, because again, it feels like, so a, cool. like an action movie. And like, threw like the, sig- the British insignias down, and then they would talk in Norwegian about how beautiful London was around all of the people that they were gra- gradually kidnapping throughout yeah. the, the heist part of it. It's great. Wow, because they, had, they ended up with two uh, hostages by the uh, Gustav and another Nazi and an actual Nazi that they oh, came okay. across along the way. Interesting. Why do I feel like Gustav would be played by Josh Gad? <laughs> Damn you, Josh Gad! It should have been me! It should have been me! Live from your grave. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, You can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest and... I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God, I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! 
H-E-L-P.com slash last pod. Now, this team thereafter went down in Norwegian and World War II history as some of the bravest and most important heroes of the war because they'd seemingly crippled the Nazi nuclear program. Wow. That, however, is not really the truth. You just got debunked. No, don't let the truth get in the way of a good war story. While the mission was indeed impressive in its planning and execution, Operation Gunnerside didn't really matter because Heisenberg's program had stalled. Even worse, Hmm. while Norsk Hydro was supposed to be out of commission for at least a year, up to two years, it was back up and running bigger and better than ever within six weeks. Wow. They barely put a dent in it. By the time they had, in the book, The Bastard Brigade, by the time they had the big congratulatory dinner, because then they took all the guys that did it out to dinner in London. Yeah. By the time they had got to the dinner, the plant was already doing its thing again. So no, they it was like, still good, but, but he didn't want it, to tell them. So they're all like, they were literally all new. They, they scheduled the big celebration knowing wow. that it didn't even matter, but it was nice because then they all got to get out of the war. And yeah. it's still good for morale. They did it. They got in oh, there. They blew up a building. Great for morale. Yeah. But the plant engineers worked 24 hours a day in shifts to get the cells repaired. And by the end of it, they had managed to actually expand the heavy water operation <laughs> from 18 cells to 26, which yeah. increased their production of heavy water. From 11 pounds a day to 15. It's kind of a really just sort of a glorified demo day and then a rebuild. Yeah. A little bit. It actually kind of made space for them to be able to build (laughs) it better in a way that they didn't even think about. They're like, oh, now we could actually put so much, so much more the heavy water could go. And they're like, wow, this is actually (laughs) kind of nice. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gunnerside. I said this was a load bearing wall. Turns out it's not. We can really it's have not. like an open, we can have open concept open in here. This concept. is going to be great. And now we've got the ship lap on one side and we've got the rolling barn doors because great illusion of space. They really are fantastic. I mean, look at World Trade Center in one. Yeah. How beautiful is that building? Nothing like a nice big target. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they've got that big mall there now. They got a big mall. They wouldn't have had that mall, the, the mall that looks like a a, a cadaver. Yes, that, that wouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be there. No, yeah. man, nah, no, so. dude. And we got the fucking. They got a Burger King there, man. It's <laughs> they do. They do. Now the British refused to acknowledge that Operation Gunnerside had ultimately been a failure. At least they refused to acknowledge it to the Americans. Mm. And to this day, many historians still refuse to believe that the whole thing had been all for naught. Because it is, as you said, it's a great war story. Yeah. It's an inspirational story. Oh, yeah. But back in 1943, General Leslie Groves, head of the Manhattan Project, he wasn't about to accept the British view of the mission, especially after he received intelligence that the whole thing had been an objective failure. Hmm. I will say, I don't think it's unwarranted, but the Bastard Brigade has a for certain anti-British bias within the book (laughs) because the entire thing is constantly talking shit about how the UK had no idea what the hell they were doing, that they didn't know that they had second guessed. They were incorrect all the Mm. time. And I don't know if it was real or not, but it's like Leslie Groves is like, God damn these limey bastards. They have no idea what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, and it's all in the book. And you're like, I don't know if this is just dialogue written by a man that once got his like teeth broken on a bad scone or something. And now he hates all (laughs) British things. A little resentment perhaps from the, uh, from the past. Possibly. 
See, when it came to Groves, his projects were all that mattered. And if he needed to go outside of normal channels to ensure that his current project was a success, he did it. Mm. After all, if the Nazis beat the Americans to the bomb, that would mean that the Manhattan Project had been a failure. Right. So Groves called for help and contacted the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, (gasps) which is, as we know, the antecedent to the CIA. This is back when espionage was fun and only done by old money people that would then form the uh, fate of the rest of the country later on. I would disagree with it being only old money people. Old money people in charge, yes. But there were plenty of weirdos down at the bottom doing the dirty work. Well, that's the thing is that you learn it was a classic American approach of blue blood running through the very base of it. And then everybody's a freak. Everybody yeah. else is a literal <laughs> an unwanted person that knows and doesn't fit into any other branch of the government or society that is very easily manipulated and, and used very effectively for espionage work. Yeah. Mm. Well, Groves got a hold of OSS founder Wild Bill Donovan and brought him up to speed on the situation. And the two of them got to work on a plan to take out the Norsk Hydro plant for good. You know, they call me Wild Bill, but I actually just have early onset Alzheimer's. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually think it's kind of offensive. (laughs) This poor Wild Bill. (laughs) Just being like, is this my house? Uh, that's wild, wild bill anymore. right now that's wild bill Are bill you, you know son? that's your house he's I, being wild i'm not being wild i don't know you <laughs> wild bill wild bill, wild bill. Oh, okay. please for the love of god where am i <laughs> <laughs> now, the plan <laughs> now the plan that groves and wild bill came up with to stop the production of heavy water at norris hydro That didn't work out, Mm. but Mm. it was still the beginning of the Manhattan Project's involvement in covert combat, espionage, recovery, and assassination operations. I also, I didn't understand that Leslie Groves could call a a bombing in, that he literally could call the U.S. government and say, like, can you go bomb this place? And they would just go do it for Manhattan Project. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but remember, he was a general. He was yeah. General Leslie Groves. What a fun power to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Can you imagine yeah. if he was a specific? Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. I don't really get it. It's really cute. He's not a general. He's a specific. Oh, wow. This is really something that <laughs> must only be made in the lab. That must I be made in the lab. I literally got to get the fuck out of yeah, I I do, I do, I do, My strength is leaving me. I was in a hot garage all day. I was <laughs> yeah. doing a very Mama Zabrowski version of the of an episode of Hoarders where she kept going like, I should be like, I want everything thrown out. And then anything I'd go to throw out, she'd go, no, no, don't you understand? That's my wedding dolls. <laughs> I'm going to talk about wedding dolls and side stories. Yeah, I know. You're going through a lot right now. Henry is at home helping his mother throw out the things that she will not throw out. Yes, so. the wedding dolls from her first marriage. Oh, I need to come get rid of these things. Now I am here. Cannot believe that I would say yes. Now does not want to go through it. Junkman Joe's coming first thing in the morning. And that's just got to go out. Joe. All right. So that explains the joke. <laughs> Fuck you. He's under a lot of stress. Yes. Now, as we were just talking about it, and as we covered in our MK Ultra series, some of the first men in the OSS came from the most powerful families in America the DuPonts, the Morgans, the Vanderbilts. 
But in addition to the rich boys, Bill Donovan also had wild cards. He had mafia contract killers. This was all gone through in the Bastard Brigade. Mafia contract killers, bartenders, pro wrestlers. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And as it pertains to our story, professional baseball players like former White Sox catcher Mo. Berg. Wow. Moberg is one of the more interesting characters in history because it's, it's such a like a weird combo of a lot of different qualities. He was a genius. He was a multilingual person. He literally could speak Japanese. He's great. Yeah. He's yeah. A very interesting guy. Yeah. Moberg was a natural athlete. He was beyond brilliant. He was fluent in at least six and maybe as many as 12 languages. Wow. He was so comfortable with like just Latin that he could talk to a second baseman in Latin during a baseball game when he played shortstop and they'd know exactly what the fuck he was talking about. That'll confuse a batter. That'll confuse a runner. Mm-hmm. And again, he was played by in the, well, I forget the catcher was a spy. He was played by Paul Rudd. And was- he, I said this on the stream, but he looks like the evil baby from The Simpsons. Oh. Like he looks like Imelda Marcos. If Imelda Marcos was from Bro- the Bronx, like there's something right. about him. He's got a gummy bear body. He's got a full <laughs> unibrow, but he was an extremely compelling spy. People love this guy. Yeah, it's just really bizarre because obviously we want to be inclusive in this world, but how do you get people to identify as hideously ugly? Hmm. You know, because just choose, that's just choose it. I we do here. We are all proudly ugly. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually a pretty handsome man. He feels handsome. Marcus feels handsome. I've been told by many people that I'm quite the handsome yes. boy. I'm just saying I mean, Hollywood needs taste, to include. Course, Hollywood yeah. needs to stop prettying up all these ugly people through history. I agree with that. More ugly actors. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say Moberg was 1930s handsome. Good. Yeah. He was witty. He was the personification of the old cliche. Women want him and men want to be him. Uh, I've always wanted to be a catcher. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard. Moberg was also an inscrutable loner with no close friends or relations. In other words, everything about Moberg screamed spy. Spy! (laughs) Nice. Now, Mo had a surprisingly long career in baseball and impressively attended Columbia Law School full time throughout the season during his early years in the league playing for the White Sox. I think his career was like eight years long, something like that. Not too bad. But after an injury in 1930, he was demoted to a bullpen catcher for the Washington Senators. Uh, Once you tear your taint as a catcher, you're done. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. The taint is one of the most crucial organs. It's an organ. It's an organ to a, yeah, it is. It's all taint. Because I was a catcher. I know. (laughs) You can see, I got a catcher's knees. I know. I got an umpire's mind. (laughs) (laughs) Berg came to be known as Professor Berg amongst sports writers. This is due to his habit of reading books about non-Euclidean space-time in the bullpen. And he understood it well enough where after the game, he got Albert Einstein's home phone number and he just called up Albert Einstein and said, hey, you want to talk physics? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this guy really was intelligent. Yeah. Because then Albert Einstein was like, I will teach you about physics if you teach me about baseball. And then he went, they taught him about baseball and he taught him about physics, but then he tried to teach him all the rules about baseball and he was like i do not get it i am not a fucking jock fuck you chad that's what he said oh, come on like, now. Einstein. Come on, Albert Albert. Einstein. you get blackpilled 
<laughs> well, even more impressive was the fact that after Moberg's baseball career was over, he made an appearance on a national radio quiz show called Information, Please. <laughs> I fucking am, I'm immediately annoyed because I'm going to be hell on hold for 20 minutes. Now, I, <laughs> information, be like, I just gave it to the automated system. Why do you need my information again? That was in 1938. And in that year, he became an overnight celebrity. He was sort of a Ken Jennings, if you will. Well, and of course, Henry and I, cheap plug for our Patreon, had a chance to interview Ken Jennings. So check out that conversation. Ken's a big fan. Kissel Kissel definitely didn't try to use him as an info booth and ask him a bunch of trivia questions to see (laughs) what he knew. I asked him why Axe body spray is so cold when it goes on your body. And you thought that was a Jeopardy question. He did explain it. He, he did explain it. it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Huh. Yep. That's interesting. Well, maybe I'll have to listen. You, well, <laughs> you might, yes. But like so many other Americans, when war broke out, Moberg wanted to fight for his country. But the military wouldn't take him due to his old injuries. So when the OSS was formed, Wild Bill Donovan trusted his gut and recruited Moberg, making Berg one of America's first international men of mystery. Well, Moberg, for some reason, was kind of obsessed with the concept of either being a spy or wanting to do something because he took a trip to Japan as a younger man and he filmed a bunch of shit from the top of a hotel. Like he was got really into taking pictures of and for some reason he took he did espionage film where he filmed like a uh, 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 what's it puts like a, a. port. He filmed like where the boats came in and out. He filmed a couple of places where there was like a factory district. He did this stuff as a sort of almost like a like some kind of reel, like a, an espionage reel so that people could do it. And he spread this video around and apparently it was so useful to the U.S. government because up until this point, the only information that they had had about the Japanese shoreline and anything that happened on the Japanese mainland had come from like tourism books. They didn't even know what was happening over there. So it's very interesting. It's very like he was obsessed with it. He shot a pilot. He shot a pilot yeah, for the CIA or the future oh, CIA. That's your show. OSS. Right there. They saw that. They were like, that's your show. Interesting. Now, being an OSS agent was just as dangerous as being in the CIA, if not more so, because the OSS was very much making shit up as they went along. And they often did so in a dramatic fashion. Hmm. For example, the OSS regularly used the infamous cyanide capsule, which, of course, could be bitten down upon if the agent was captured by enemy forces. Yes. Foaming death would come within seconds, and the agent's secrets would die with him. There was a recent situation, about, what was it, five or six years ago? The dude in Russia who took it on the stand, and you can watch him die. Have yeah, you seen that? I haven't. It works real fast. <laughs> real and fast. people, as soon as they knew what he was doing, they, like, lunge for him and try to get it out. But he already did it, and yeah. he was dead in, like, 45 seconds. Yeah. It happens real fast. I also did not know that they were rubber-coated. Yeah. So I guess there was a thing that if you pop it in your mouth and you don't not need to kill yourself, you can just eat it and shit it out. Apparently, like you literally, it's a rubber capsule, so you could, it just flows right through the hole. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I I wouldn't trust it. No, I wouldn't trust it. I would, an eighth of an inch of government rubber between me (laughs) and certain (laughs) death. Like, I I always imagine that Vladimir Putin has it all the time. Like a chiclet in his mouth. I'm sure. Like a, just like some Copenhagen, just right in the lip. Yep, I believe it. 
Now, these men were trained in sabotage tactics like lockpicking, phone bugging, and silent methods of murder. Mm -hmm. But since it was all hush-hush, and since it had no precedent, the OSS had to create its own covert methods for graduating their training program. This shit's crazy. This is like such an outlandish concept. In Mo Berg's case, he was tasked with planning a solo heist that involved infiltrating an American defense plant to steal any classified document he could find. Didn't matter what kind of document, didn't matter what it said, all that matters is it was stamped classified. So this is the tangible when they get someone who knows how to like hack into computers to work for the government and they're like hack into our system so we learn how to do it, but this is that in in the real form. Kind of. Can you imagine that though? But up until that point, if you hire a hacker that has hacked into the government, you know that he can do it. This is literally being like, okay, we put you in a funhouse training segment where you have to shoot at plaster Nazis that pop up in window frames. Like it's an old, like what Keanu Reeves does for John Wick. They do all that like type of training. And then it's literally, all right, go spy on us and come back. Yeah. It's crazy to me that they would just go not tell these companies that they would do it. And then afterwards, they'd have to, under pain of death, go through all of the stuff, then basically be like, this is an OSS training meeting. And And they'd have to go like, oh, Oh, okay. And then somebody just had to be like, wait, the catcher for the fucking socks? That's who's doing all this? Well, the point was that they wanted to see if Berg could come up with a plan on his own and execute it under pressure in a real-life situation. But Berg's plan wasn't as clever as you'd expect. He somehow got a hold of some White House stationery, and he just kind of wrote, he forged a note and tried to bluff his way through it. And And when he wasn't able to charm his way past a guard, he sheepishly had to admit that he was participating in what amounted to a glorified panty raid. Oh, Mo, come on. He's like, wait a second. Do you want to see the panties? (laughs) He's like, wait a second. I can just see these panties? (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, sir. Come this way. And as you see all of J. Edgar Hoover's panties just like lined up in this beautiful array. Mm. He's like, yes, he comes here each morning. And depending on his mood and the day of the week, mm. as you can see, M-T-W-T-F-S-S. Yes, days of the week, panties. His balls. Big front. As you'll notice, this one here is used. Five dollars. You can Venmo me. (laughs) Well, even though Berg failed, the OSS still decided to take a chance. And by the fall of 1943, he was being parachuted into Norway under the command of Wild Bill Donovan and General Leslie Groves on a reconnaissance mission concerning the Norsk Hydro plant. Now, Berg soon found an interrogated scientist familiar with the plant, and those scientists confirmed that the heavy water production had only ceased for about a month and a half. Hmm. That interrogation was relayed back to Groves and Donovan, who both said, fuck it, let's just bomb the fucking thing into oblivion. Right, Yay! sure. Why not? Let's just bomb it! That's just bomb it! Fun day. Like, ah, we can up. Yeah! <laughs> so within a week or so after the information was delivered, Groves and Donovan managed to gain command of 142 bombers from the bloody hundredth. <laughs> Planes with such colorful names as Boss Lady, Pickle oh. Puss, She Hasta, Rumboogie <laughs> 2, The Raunchy Wolf, Whoa. and two names that were simply named Horny. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Creative naming. It's strange. Just the idea of sitting there being like, "Yeah, she is. That's my plane. Yeah, horny. That's her name. Yeah, yeah. She's ready for it. God, you can't even sit in the seats. I honestly, yeah. I slide into the cockpit each time. <laughs> well, the men they also had colorful names. There was Bubbles, oh. Handlebar Hank, 
Lucky Luckadoo, the two Harrys, the three Buckies, and a guy just named Veal. Oh, man, it sounds like you're describing a bunch of rescue dogs <laughs> as someone's <laughs> going to look to adopt. Like, that's yeah, Lucky is, Lou right there. That's Beaver like, Stew. Yeah, that's the list on Toby's small dog rescue. <laughs> they were up for adoption. I wanna... You don't want to know why we call him horny. <laughs> well, the reason why they call me Veal is because... I'm a little sheepish. Oh, <laughs> come on, guys. That's funny. Isn't veal beef? Veal is beef. It's cow that is uh, brutally, brutally cow. treated at a very you, young no, age. No, 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 no. Technically, you should made, eat it. Made very tender by far yeah. too small cages, making them blind. The whole point, Kissel, you see, is that yeah. they're supposed to turn into sort of what Arby's does, something between liquid and a solid. The but slurry. It's yeah. Yeah, the idea gotcha. is to turn, making a thing a, a living slurry. There you go. Well, that's nice. That's humane. But perhaps the reason why there was such levity around the Bloody Hundredth is because a lot of them got killed. They were mm. called the Bloody Hundredth for a reason. An right. alternate name, a much less cool uh, and a, a name that's a lot less fun. They were also called the Vanishing Americans. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bad nickname during a war. Absolutely. You know? But the thing about bombing is that no matter how good your crew was, targeting just one building is really fucking hard. Mm. And it's even harder to target a single room within that building. That would be the heavy water room in the Norse Hydro plant. Therefore, while 12 bombs hit the plant, only the power generators went down and 22 civilian villagers were killed in the process. That's what? why they were a little reticent to go the bombing route. That's all? Out of 12, fuck, out of 12 bombs, that's all that it was able to do? It was literally inside of the... Do you, this is why I'm so glad I have a bidet now. Do you have an idea how hard yeah. it is to get to the dingleberries at the very bottom of the crevice? Right. It's extremely difficult without help. That's why I ended up clear in the field, blitzkrieging it by sniffing right. it in a hole around my beehole. But I'm sorry, Samantha, new assistant here. I, uh, you, but this is different because ah, you can't get to it. How do they count the bodies they it. kill? Can I ask, like, truly, like, how do, in the end, when they talk about war casualties, this is just a general question. How do they like figure that out? I think they go one, a two, two, two three. Oh, I forgot. It was yes. the Tootsie Pop method. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. That, I, that always held. And then they bite the head off the fourth and then <laughs> they call it a day. I think just after the war is over, there's, you know, record keeping, there's reckoning. How many people were in the village at the beginning of the war? How many people are in the village now? When did those people die? There's usually someone in the village that's keeping track of all this yeah. shit. Did your husband not come home? Yeah. You know, it's truly a very morbid nerd's job. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the reason. Someone's got to do it. That's one of the only reasons why we know so much about the Black Death that we do know is because. Yeah, oh, yeah. All the records. All yeah. The certain countries were insane record keepers. And that's why we know more about one than we know about the other. Interesting. Now, this failure again enraged Leslie Groves because Leslie God Groves is real. Damn it. <laughs> damn it. It's just like a lot of that, a lot of punching the air, playing with his belt. <laughs> got angry real fast. Well, this seems like a reason to be angry. You no. wasted, what, millions of dollars, I would assume, right? Oh, yeah. Didn't do a good job at a hard target. Couldn't break it, much like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Kissel, you're Leslie Groves. How would you react? Get me that goddamn Wild Bill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually don't I'm even... Bill? No, I'm actually There's, Bill. Oh, I see this here. I see this little sign. Yeah, yeah I see the sign. I guess I must be Bill, but yeah, I don't it's... know Bill. <laughs> uh, Bill. Man, you are fucking wild. Do you guys have a bunch of birds in here? Or what's that sound? 
<laughs> oh God, where is, are there a bunch of birds in here? He's fucking wild. <laughs> Trust me, this guy doesn't remember shit. <laughs> Am I Bill? <laughs> wild Bill, we got a mission for you. Whoa, me? Yeah, you're Wild Bill. My name's William. <laughs> no, yeah, Wild Bill. Want to go kill some Nazis? Yeah. There you yeah! go. Wild Bill's back. Now, when Leslie Groves calmed down, he realized that by just dropping one of his dudes into the thick of it, he very quickly had gained highly valuable operational information about the Nazi atomic bomb program. Hmm. Didn't matter if the bombing worked or not. He still knew that it was all up and running and he knew it straight from the horse's mouth. So Groves talked it over with Wild Bill and Mo Berg was given over to the Manhattan Project as America's first atomic spy. Wow. Cool. Now, smartly, Groves gave Berg no specifics about the Manhattan Project, but Berg did learn enough quantum physics to be able to interrogate European physicists in their own language. Yeah, dude, it's crazy because they couldn't have anybody that had any operational connections to Manhattan Project over in the theater of war because they knew if any one of these guys are get scooped, right. we love our scientists because Groves knew we need scientists doing this so they can understand the actual, like, who, what they're looking at when they go look for evidence of a Nazi atomic program. Mm -hmm. And like, But they knew they can't have somebody from the Manhattan Project because we love our scientists but let's just say, once it came to being spoken to in the quote, in the style of the Russians, you knew that they were going to fold immediately. Any sort of, there was sort of physical, like, it, they, they can't be tortured. As soon as they're tortured, they're going to start spilling their guts. And I don't disagree with them. Yeah, well, Niels Bohr couldn't even stop talking about being an atomic scientist when nobody was torturing him. Right. Like, he just proud. talked about it. Out I did not go to 49 <laughs> years of being a nuclear scientist, man. Do I just not start saying about it? All right, you tell me not to. What did you do? Oh, you're Mr. Radio Man. Mr. Radio Man does whatever. Everybody knows what you do. <laughs> In addition, Berg poured through the work of the great nuclear physicists of the day, such as the Joliot Curies, Otto Hahn, and Enrico Fermi. But he was especially drawn to the work of Werner Heisenberg, who would soon become Mo Berg's number one target for first kidnapping, then assassination. Assassination. Assassins. <sighs> Also, I just so you know, I have had a lot of people talk, and I got a little bit of a pushback, but I, and I want to give credit where credit is due, that Otto Hahn actually mostly stole a lot of the work from Lisa Meitner. That was actually the person that was the, like, the actual brains in the operation. Otto Hahn, very similar to many of these guys that are in charge of a lab, will just kind of be like, that's me, yup. I came up with it, but it's also huh. everybody on their team who really is the people that, like, give the actual information. Interesting. Was she a Nazi? Oh, I think that, I actually don't know. I don't know. I think that she was fine. I think a lot of people, she was just kind of there under duress. Oh, okay. All right. We'll figure it. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, get there. No, we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Before I say yes, let's say... Live <laughs> from your grave. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. And make sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say 
not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword, except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, Berg was already on the front lines when it came to atomic spycraft, but Grove still needed a small team that could coordinate investigations into foreign nuclear activities that included, but was not limited to, domestic spycraft. Oh, very fun. That team named itself Alsos, which pissed off Leslie Groves because Alsos in Greek means Grove. Well, now, why would that be aggravated? Because it was not a very good secret-keeping name. Well, because Leslie Grove was very much famous for being, and anybody within the world of the military knew that he was running this thing called the Manhattan Project that was probably associated with us building some form of atomic bomb. So as soon as you see the word Grove attached to a thing that's a bunch of people looking for Nazi atomic bomb secrets in Europe, Mm -hmm. you're immediately like, Oh, these are all these are all guys from the Manhattan Project. And now we know that they are that far ahead in their atomic bomb program. Also, Leslie Groves just didn't like the British. True. Yeah, maybe a little egotistical on his part as well. Quite possibly. Could be. But nevertheless, when it came to the man who would lead Alsos, Groves chose a fiercely anti-communist Russian named Boris Pash, formerly Boris Pashkovsky. Oh, Now, Boris had been born at the dawn of the 20th century in San Francisco, but in 1913, his family returned to Russia where his father became a Russian Orthodox bishop during what was an especially dicey time. You know what the dicey time is? What? We already covered it. When? With what? What are we talking about? (laughs) <laughs> but being I see a that Russian, they're talking. I see a, that they're talking, and I see that there there is a show on. It's like, oh yes, I'm on the show. I, there's a dicey. My drinks are here. I see a, my drinks. Yeah. I must be. I've been talking. 
Oh, God, am I wild, Bill? <laughs> this is me. That was a dicey time there. Red dicey, being a Russian Orthodox bishop in 1913 in Russia, that's yeah. a, be, that's a that's dicey time. That's probably not time. good Why? because they didn't like religion. Because he did not. No, we didn't. They, they, <laughs> had, they have a leader there that was anti-religion. Not yet. Buddy, all I know is bishop, fucking flog it, make the juice. I really it's don't care. It's a numbers care. game. Comedy and yeah. thought process is a numbers game. You never know. You never really know. I don't know. think it's being like, a you know, bishop ever clock. is fun. Well, this was right before the Russian Communist Revolution. Sounds like a dicey time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when the Russian Communist Revolution came, Boris, not surprisingly, fought for the Tsar as a part of the White Army, which was made up of religious zealots and the capitalist bourgeoisie who benefited from Tsarist rule. As we know, the revolution ended in the death of Tsarist Russia. So Boris slowly made his way back to America where he was born. Man, eventually every one of our topics is going to touch each other. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Because that's all Rasputin. This touches Rasputin that's, directly. That's, that's all, that's all t- so weird. So crazy. That's what I was I talking the about. the connection between Boris Pash and Rasputinus. That's what I was saying. We covered it. Um, Rasp- I would say none because Rasputin was just hanging out in the palace having a I'm good old time. Try- I'm just hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping for an extended university. That'd be nice. Yeah. And by the mid-1920s, Boris Pash's name had been shortened from Pashkovsky to Pash. Because when he came in through immigration, they're like, ah, you're Pash now. It's a lot easier that way. Yeah. And he was soon teaching high school in Hollywood. Oh. <laughs> Hollywood High School. I drive by it every day. Man, was he actually at Hollywood High School? I mean, they just said a high school in Hollywood, so maybe Hollywood High School. Probably Hollywood High School. so crazy. It's so weird. It's like where Judy Garland went and shit. It's like, it's very (laughs) strange. There's a mural of all the actors that are famous from there. Oh, wow. On the outside of the school. Strange. It's really strange. Yeah, very strange. The one on the way to the Sirius XM. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. It's very famous. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, it probably was that one. Yeah. I think that's what they said. 90210. I think it was based on that. Oh, wow. In 1930, though, Pash returned to the military and joined the Army Reserve. Ten years later, Pash was in the Army's intelligence division, tasked with hunting Japanese insurgents in the Baja Peninsula in an effort to prevent an attack on San Diego after a Japanese sub had surfaced in Santa Barbara, California to fire on an oil refinery. Now that's a Baja blast. (laughs) (laughs) Now, no insurgents were ever found in Baja, nor were any Japanese-American citizens ever found guilty or even tried for espionage or treason. In fact, out of the 10 people convicted of spying for Japan domestically during World War II, all 10 of them were white weeaboos. What's a weeaboo? Yeah, man. A person who is obsessed, uh, a Westerner who is extremely obsessed with Japanese culture. Oh, Wait, like Gwen Stefani. It's more of an anime thing, but still, these were people who were extremely obsessed with Japanese culture to the point where they were traitors against their own country. Well, that's what got Gwen Stefani in trouble because she said, I'm kind of Japanese, but she's not. She, she claimed <laughs> to be Japanese. And, you know, I haven't seen the documents, but I, when I, I see a white woman, and you just never know. You never just, know. You never know what's inside. Because me, I'm half Spaniard. Are you? Know that. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. Cool. Yeah. Well, the most interesting of these weeaboos was a woman named Velvalee Dickinson, a.k.a. 
the doll woman. Whoa, man, the nickname's scary. The name is sexy, but her nickname is scary. You think Velva Lee Dickinson is sexy? Yeah. <laughs> Velva Lee Dickinson? Yeah. Velva um, Lee Dickinson definitely sounds like a woman I'd end up ruining it all for. Yes. You know? Ooh, damn damn you, Velva Lee. Get out of my mind. Velva Lee Dickinson from a long line of Dickinsons. Well, Damn it, Velvely, get out of the trunk of my car. <laughs> oh, I ain't going nowhere without you. I'm Velvely. You got me cornered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Velvely Dickinson. Yeah, she's a babe. Well, after becoming obsessed with Japanese culture, Velvely used her doll shop in Manhattan as a front for Japanese espionage. Oh. She passed military intelligence to the Japanese in letters that relayed information through doll lingo. Well, I don't <laughs> like that she's doing that. And I don't so like doll creepy. lingo. Yeah. yeah, what is doll lingo? She would refer to things like fishnets, like doll accessories, and they would be set. They would be yeah, fishnets. It was that was one of the weirder ones. Was mm. fishnets yeah. like? I, just, I don't like all this like sexy she, little dolls. She would say like, "I'm getting an order of two fishnets from San Diego," uh. or "I'm getting a, I'm getting a set of fishnets repaired in San Diego." Yeah, you would, which, <laughs> which told the Japanese that uh, there were two ships in the harbor at San Diego being repaired at that time. Oh, hot damn, Beverly. You know what I mean? Oh, man, those letters. You can even read through the letters. She's got a body. Yes, indeed. Although fishnets need to be cheaper. You think so? They're fucking expensive. Have you ever gone to one of those stores where the ladies, when the lady wants to dress up all fun and fishnets, there's no material. <laughs> well, I'd imagine they're difficult, no goddamn dollars. they're difficult to make, I, though. They are not. Why are, why are you pricing out fishnets? Hey. Hey. Why are you doing that? I'm just saying they're very expensive for limited fabric. That is true. But it's the it's the quality you pay for and the you pay for the labor. No, you're supposed to be able to tear them open. <laughs> oh, weird, Kissel. Uh, no. We've headed into a weird private part of your life. No, you everyone just, agrees. Do you just rip apart fishnets at home like you're a giant horny dolphin? Oh, my God. Like, do you just go and, like, you're Gojira itself? No, just be like, you know, no. go like, nothing can contain me. And just, like, put it, put it over your head and just rip it through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like why not? Have, go through. have fun with it. Well, the letters written by Velva Lee were sent to Japan via Buenos Aires, and she used names of people in the doll trade that she had grudges against, and it was that little bit of pettiness that got her caught. Oh. Because the letters were intercepted and they started to see like, oh, this sounds a code breaker looked at it as like, oh, this is obviously all code. And it would have the name of like Martha Johnson, who lives in Boulder. And they go and talk to Martha Johnson from oh. Boulder and say, are you a fucking spy for the Japanese? She's like, that sounds like something Velva Lee would be into. And so wow. yeah, is like, yeah, I may have done a treachery or two, but when it comes down, everything's fair, love and war. Velva Lee. Like, all right, Velva Lee. Can I show you a picture yeah, of, Ve- of Velva Lee, Ben? Because I got a pretty hot, steamy picture going in my mind. And, uh, well, you know, it looks, well, so I understand yeah. why they called her the doll lady. Oh, <laughs> oh well, oh, no, wow. Velva Lee is very different. Yeah. No, yeah. I thought. But, you know, it was also the photography back then. The photography <laughs> back then. <laughs> I literally thought. I just, head, you know what? It was just, I, I, I was just seeing a blonde bombshell with just, you know, a slinky, like Jessica Rabbit, no, you know, style she, with that. She there's looks, only, okay, um, to be fair, there's one picture of her and it looks to be her in her like 50s, 
she had something. I'm looking at it from certain angles. I think this picture she, is from her in the 30s, and she looks like a melting skeleton. Well, aren't she we does. all? Aren't we all? Uh, all she right. Does. Well, that's, a, that's why she's got such great personality. That's why she's always playing with dolls. <laughs> she looks like before the Wicked Witch of the West turned. Yeah. Yeah. Like she looks like in the real life version. Dude, Before, you say yeah. what you want about that Wicked Witch. She's got a tight bod. I, yeah. must be, I must be horned up today. You really yeah, seem to be. Yeah. You haven't real, jerked off in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you with, should. with Blasian. Yes, indeed. But when it came to Boris Pash, he fell in love with the military intelligence game during his hunt for non-existent Japanese insurgents. He was great at managing agents. He was a master of disguise. He had a knack for putting wigs on straight. <laughs> I hate this guy. Honestly, <laughs> Why? All this, for all intents and purposes, I should love this guy, but I hate this guy. This yeah. is what you would be doing. Yeah. And he, I know. And he was pretty good at funny voices. But like See, voice, have... voice alteration. Well, as long as he doesn't use them in our fucking ads, because they don't like funny voices. <laughs> We've gotten some ass to be re-recorded, yes. <laughs> well, Boris Pash therefore caught the eye of the OSS, and he was soon named head of West Coast Domestic Security for the Manhattan Project. Oh. Now, Boris Pash's first task was to investigate lead scientist Robert Oppenheimer and his associates to see if any of them were passing information to the Soviet Union. So it seems here oh. truly that there's a lot of distrust. Oh, yeah. So the investigations are all like within the and house. With, and at with this good point. reason. Right. That is, that is really interesting, though, because you think about like the, the combined front, the United States versus no. the commies and Never the, the Nazis and the Never Japanese. Once. But really, there no everyone was like, who the fuck do we trust? Well, because... This entire lab was based off of basically current and former communists. We're all like there. You had a bunch of people that were all, some of them card-carrying communists that were the ones that were the leaders in nuclear science. So they're all at the Manhattan Project. They're at Los Alamos. And so they basically hire, you know, an internal affairs guy to go mm. and you're going to watch us while we watch ourselves because we don't know how this is going to work out. Like, we actually don't know because, you, again, warring factions. Half of them are like, the Russians are our allies. There should be a free, like, border here. There should be osmosis of our science and their science. Like, we should be sharing it. But they, you know, were not fully privy to the idea that we were setting up villain, other, villain number two for the sequel. Yeah. And to the point of everyone coming together for the war effort, that is very much a fab. That's a rose colored view of history. America, when we were first asked to ration, we fucking hated it. We were dragged yeah. along, kicking and that. screaming the entire time. We did not like rationing. We did not like sharing. We basically, um, the government basically had to hire a daddy to yeah. force everyone to do it. But if they wouldn't have forced everyone to do it, we wouldn't have won the fucking war. So there you go. Yeah. Sometimes you need a daddy. No, you don't. Don't you, Ben? No. Don't you sometimes, sometimes need a daddy? No. I think sometimes no, I, you need a daddy. I just I always no, I need am, a daddy. <laughs> I am good. Kissel, I think that if you had a very special little daddy, I feel like, you know, because he doesn't have to be in charge of you. He could be delateral. Mm -hmm. He could be no, your co-daddy. Yeah. I have enough. I have enough little people around me. <laughs> <laughs> there was just a group for me to just go talk with other big people and just be like these littles <laughs> fuck is oh, that's how this starts wrong. that's how this fucking starts oh, god man. is that how an nba locker room sounds like? i don't they have their oh. own issues i <sighs> i think they're all just getting too laid and, and paid to be angry now yeah. yeah they're nba guys i think they're pretty happy 
Well, the FBI had already been investigating one of Robert Oppenheimer's students, and that student was indeed passing information from Oak Ridge and Los Alamos to Soviet agents. Hmm. Pash, however, demanded that he be given total control over all investigations into Manhattan Project staff. That authority was swiftly given, and Pash began a lifelong career of being the type of guy who would fit his entire head up your ass oh. if he thought there might be a communist hiding inside. <laughs> but they also hey, did. buddy, I got a couple of communists in my ass. You want to come <laughs> check it out? You want it too much. What? No, but no, I'll look. I'll look. have to look. Yeah. Now I have to look. Yeah. My God, this is the cleanest asshole I've ever seen. Yeah. There wasn't a communist in here now. There certainly was one here recently. <laughs> right, nice and cleaned up. Put a surveillance team on that man's asshole. There was a kind of a problem, though, because a lot of this shit he did was completely illegal. So he'd set up a house that he wired for sound, and he'd invite communists to it and go... Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, just seemed like, mm, what do you think of this? Talk. You know, like, and so the students got caught, but because all of the evidence was against them was built up illegally, they didn't know what to do with them. So you're like, well, we can't prosecute them for espionage officially. So they just sent them all on the worst details in the war. Mm-hmm. Like they sent one to Alaska. They sent one to another place where they just like put them away from anything important possible. And, and just were like, all right, you go peel potatoes for the next two years. Yeah. You love potatoes. You're a communist. He installed surveillance (laughs) equipment worth $100,000 in modern currency in the radiation lab at the University of California, Berkeley. Wow, interesting. Yeah, he also had undercover security agents follow anyone he suspected of having communist ties, and he flipped Oppenheimer's driver and his bodyguards into becoming informants that reported directly to Pash. Hmm. And so that is, there is a really interesting push and pull in that time period. It's, it's not as, it's very difficult to cover accurately on a podcast versus a book, but like Oppenheimer understanding that everyone was trying to out him as a communist spy was a part of like one of the big pressure points during the end period of the Manhattan Project while they got, as they were going up to the Trinity test, because obviously he's under a lot of pressure as it is. He's under pressure for his, in his own mind, he's under pressure from the U.S. government, but now they're all looking for any evidence that he's a communist too. So he he tried to quit like four times. Yeah. He's like, I can't handle it. I have to go. And you're like, I Robert, come on, buddy. Come on. They're gonna make a movie about you. Don't worry. <laughs> but as I said last episode, the unfortunate reality is that, as Henry said, there were quite a few card-carrying communists both orbiting the Manhattan Project and quite a few inside the project itself. Even a few in the inner circle, although most of them weren't feeding information to the Soviet Union. They were just communists. It was just a a political ideology. They were American. Yeah, yeah, they were American communists. Military intelligence, however, is not necessarily known for sussing out nuance. And by late 1943, Pash's hard-on for communism got to be so obtrusive that everyone in the Manhattan Project and the OSS hated him. Yeah, eventually they're like, you know what? Honestly, the communists are crushing it right now. You're you're killing me, Ash. <laughs> you're fucking killing me yeah. everywhere you go because he's just like, he's too good. He was too good at being an internal affairs guy. Yeah. They fucking, they wanted to send him away. Get yeah, out of so, here. It just sounds very annoying. Extremely. Probably, like, that's yeah. the, he's an aggravating person. He's bringing the vibe down. Sure. Yeah. And he's probably, and he's also fucking up your day in the process. He is setting your work behind because yeah. you can't get the fucking project done if half your guys are in, it being interrogated by Boris Pash or if they're fucking constantly worried that Pash is going to arrest them. It's weaponized HR. And actually, it really is. Yep. 
It is. And this is partly how Boris Pash got put in charge of an ALSOS mission that tracked the developments of Axis nuclear programs, which necessitated a relocation to Europe. Oh, fun. But this, I, I feel like this is the type of thing that showed just how much of a genius Leslie Groves was yeah. because he kind of understood, well, yeah, he hated communists too. He was a fucking diehard American, but there's like a part of him that did understand we need these Russian nerds right now. Like we need them after the war. You guys can all tear all of these guys to pieces if you want. But right now I need to just this, all of this shit needs to stop. Yeah. It doesn't matter. By 1944, Boris Pash was in Italy tracking down a former assistant of Enrico Fermi's to see what he knew about German atomic studies. This was a mission called Operation Shark. Ooh, that's oh. fun. Dancing. Remember the dancing shark? Yeah, I Baby remember. shark. Yeah, baby shark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baby shark. God help us all. <laughs> God help us all. Oh, Mr. Bill. She's <laughs> becoming, I'm just slowly just, I'm just wild Bill in my head now. Just going, my God. My God, am I a shadow of myself? That's wild. That's wild, Bill, for you. That's real wild. Well, in Shark, American agents would be sent to Rome to, quote, unquote, persuade this former assistant to defect the Allies. Hmm. If the assistant were to resist, however, agents were authorized to beat him into submission and drag him to a submarine by force. (laughs) All right, guys, you know what? I'll just go with you. (laughs) What if I just go with you? But since this spycraft stuff was still pretty new to the Americans, Operation Shark got double booked. Unbeknownst hmm. to either man, both Boris Pash and Mo Berg had both been assigned to interrogate and or retrieve this Italian assistant. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. So, it's just uh, such a thing. It's humanity. Again, we always talk about the human element. And it's just so crazy. Just like both of none of them because everything's so secret. Nobody can know what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing here? Uh, what are you doing here? same thing there's a whole scene there's literally an entire scene like that now if you'll remember Moberg was a minor celebrity and when he arrived in Naples on his way to Rome he got recognized in the street by none other than a group of major celebrities who were in Italy on a troop morale mission oh no he got by the uh by the, uh, what is that called? The USO tour guys yeah who's a good medium like, like athlete celebrity you know like somebody like uh i would say nobody like now like like uh, well i would if we go back to the 90s let's say deon sanders well he was an a-list celebrity he he was huge he he was was huge huge. i'm trying to think of somebody who's like medium that's less like you'd have to be like Uh, oh ricky henderson sure ricky henderson but i think he's number one for stealing you'd be like uh, oh he was famous Ah, i got it i got it icky woods Okay, Icky Woods, the Icky Shuffle. That's perfect. (laughs) Ozzy Smith. Ozzy Smith is very, very famous. You guys are saying all of these very famous people. That's all we know. That's what we're looking (laughs) at. That lift shrimp is the answer. (laughs) Perfect. That lift shrimp was the answer. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, the crew that recognized Moberg was baseball star Lefty Gomez. (laughs) They call me that because I only use my right hand. I get it now. (laughs) A heavyweight champ named Jack Sharkey. Oh. And Humphrey Bogart. What the <laughs> yeah, fuck? Just hanging out. Just hanging. Because they went to go, like, talk to the... They were doing a USO trip. Yeah, they were all, they were like, just, going hanging and saying hello. Yeah, they were hanging out, and, and they got a free trip to Naples out of it. Because this Sweet. is right at... This is not too long after the Allies took Italy. Okay. Now, since Berg had been a baseball player of some renown, he was known... Lefty and Sharky, they knew him. They'd hung out. And when they spot him in the street, they go, Mo! Mo! <laughs> <laughs> 
And you can just see no. him just like, not now, guys, not now. Just like, cut it out, please, not now, guys. That's exactly what he said. He put it. He put his finger to his lips and went, shut the fuck up. And then he just disappeared into the crowd. I'm undercover. I gotta go. That is such a funny coincidence. <laughs> so when Berg arrived at the Italian assistant's home in Rome, he did indeed find the assistant. But he also found Boris Pash, mm. who'd already been interrogating the assistant. Bash asked Berg, who are you? And Berg said, I'm here on behalf of the Alsace mission. And Pash said, I am the Alsace mission. It's me. That's what I do. But he did the thing where he was like, tell me on a, like he was hard interrogating the scientist. Right. And the dude just couldn't handle it. I would much rather get interrogated by Mo Berg. Yeah, well, much rather. Mo Berg was actually pretty, very good at it. Because smart. Yeah, because he's very smart and he's charming. So he's he's good cop. Boris Pash is bad cop. Gotcha. Yeah. And Pash had not gotten anything out of this assistant during his interrogation. But Berg, he was able to confirm from the assistant, he was able to confirm that the, this assistant had been in contact with several Axis physicists, huh. Italians, Germans. This guy was in contact with them all. Berg then went back and re-interviewed every scientist Pash had interrogated, oh, <laughs> but he did it better. And each person, he uncovered something new. He's crazy. He's one of the most effective spies in the world. That is yeah. really like, it's cool. Crazy. Yeah, fuck this Oppenheimer movie. I want to know the Mo Berg story. Well, it's they already I mean, they already did it and it failed. It's like what a, was it by who? It's Paul, it was it called Paul. the Catcher and the Spy. Yeah, the oh, cat. Well, the catcher. Horrible... Is, the catcher is a spy. Oh my I god! Up, I don't even I... want to know about what's going on on these gay porn sites. <laughs> All I know I is that win. is a horrible, horrible name. It's a terrible, and it stars Paul Rudd as Moberg. Again? Well, that's Paul Rudd. That's yes. Paul okay. Rudd. That, so that was the Paul Rudd movie. Okay. That was the Paul Rudd movie, yeah. Uh, it's hot garbage. Yeah. I watched about 10 minutes of it. Fuck. <sighs> Man. We'll make another one then. Sure. You know, they made two Steve Jobs movies after <laughs> poor Ashton Kutcher. Aww. He never should have been cast in it. No. No, no he just knew. make another it's one. Just like the whole movie, the whole movie's just a fucking asshole in a turtleneck walking a room, being like, "We need to make iPods." That's it. <laughs> there you go. It's not a good story. And that's the story of Apple. Yeah. Well, Berg came across a postcard sent to physicist Giancarlo Wick. That postcard was from none other than Werner Heisenberg, oh. the proverbial big fish of Nazi nuclear physicists. Whoa! This is a smoking gun. The postcard clearly stated that Heisenberg was in the Bavarian Alps, scouting for a location for a new lab. And with a location in hand, Alsos began formulating a plan to remove Heisenberg from the board one way or another. Yeah, get him! One way or another. Meanwhile, back in France, some of the other nuclear physicists stuck in Europe were spending their time day in, day out, avoiding Nazi capture and or death. We're about to get to the people who are in the shit. You know what Who you want to do? never left the shit. What you want to do there? Zigzag. <laughs> Everywhere you go, zigzag. Serpentine. 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 Zigzag. Change up. Yep. You're really going to need to do a change the way you go. You know what I mean? If you're taking Elm Street, take Wisconsin Avenue. You got to fucking really move it around. <laughs> Absolutely. That's true. That's how I avoid getting kidnapped. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> That's right. I forgot that you're constantly worried about getting kidnapped due to your small stature. Yeah. there's You, you don't know the, the roaming gang of children that follow Henry around with knapsacks? <laughs> it's what I know. Just be like, oh, he'll fall. Don't worry, he will fall. I'm training them, they're training me. 
at the same time. No bagging can tame me. Well, scientists Frederic and Irene Joliot-Curie, they'd been in the thick of Nazi-occupied France working for the resistance, but the situation was starting to get too hot even for them. Mm. Yeah, because if you remember, they were running a cyclotron forcibly by the Nazis. The Nazis were making them do all of this research for them, but then they were intentionally sabotaging it as they went. Yeah. Mm. And working for the resistance at the same time. And this is before the Allies landed in Normandy. That's like, this is, Europe is still totally under Nazi control. Very interesting. Incredibly, though, even though they knew they had to get out of France as soon as possible, they delayed their escape for a month so their daughter could take her bachelor's exam in physics. Wow, it's so strange that like real life things are still happening. Well, that's one of oh, the, yeah. that's one of the things that people I, I think really goes by the wayside when people think about World War II. Is that Europe, yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of fucking people died, but life went on normally for a lot of people. Even in Nazi Germany, like for mo- a lot of people in Nazi Germany, they skated through those tw- the 12 years of the Third Reich. And then they just came out the other end and nothing really changed for them throughout. Life was just kind of the same. My grandfather lost a million dollars. Sure. But there were I mean, plenty, I know, there were, no way he deserved it. Yeah, there were plenty there's others. No way. There's plenty others who just fucking skated through. The Mengele Corporation. What Mangalas oh, came right. through on the other end, still yep. owning their tractor company. That's right. <laughs> it's really weird because they because I guess it, truly in America we don't know what it's like to have a war walk through your country. Yeah, you know what I mean. This is kind of what so we don't understand that life doesn't just stop. Like there's all like it all keeps going. Yeah, well, I mean, well, think of it this way: it's like if there's a war in which New York, like Washington D.C., Los Angeles, Seattle, all these places are bombed. Like if you're living in Cincinnati. I mean, you might have like less chocolate and you might have a hard time getting a hold of like certain goods. But overall, well, you're still going to school. You're still going to work selling that fucking chili. That's, I tell you what, though, those real estate, that's going up. Oh, absolutely. And you have to it's, it, actually it sounds like a kind of a solid plan mm-hmm. in many ways to have super aggressive realtors yeah. <laughs> change the face of this country no. yeah. using light to domestic terrorism. I don't know. Escape from L.A., escape from New York. I don't think that means escape to Cincinnati. Well, I would say I, I would say a more apt description would be if Texas got bombed and like Austin and Houston are getting bombed. But like Lubbock and Austin, Houston and Lubbock are getting bombed. But if you're living in Abilene, right. shit really doesn't change much. No, you know, doesn't. nothing to bomb. <laughs> sad. <laughs> it's almost sad. However. The Jolio Curies leaving a month late, that actually ended up being their saving grace. Hmm. By complete coincidence, the Jolio Curie family left Paris for Switzerland on D-Day. And since the Germans were suitably distracted, the Jolio Curies escaped. Had they left a month before, they undoubtedly would have been stopped at the border where they absolutely would have been captured or killed. Damn. Yeah. And because remember, no one knew D-Day was coming. Not even the Nazis knew D-Day was coming. Yeah. And once the Allies firmly planted themselves on French soil and began marching towards the capital, the resistance in Paris turned up the volume. And Frédéric Joliot-Curie, who remembered, this guy's just a fucking physicist by day. He returned to Paris to join the fight. Wow. Using his scientific know-how, Joliot-Curie made chemically superior Molotov cocktails by mixing potassium chlorate and sulfuric acid with the petroleum to make the weapons that much more effective and deadly. I would imagine they would be stickier and they would burn harder. Yeah. Sounds like it would just, oh, that's a bad way to go. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Well, armed with the Joliot Curie cocktails, thousands of French police successfully defended themselves against German tanks after the police had barricaded themselves inside their own police station. Mm. But after that battle, Joliot Curie received a message that it was finally time to end the fight. With France all but taken back by the Americans, Boris Pash was coming to take Frédéric and Irene Joliot Curie to safety. Pash found Joliot Curie in his lab, which was still covered in stamped swastikas, even though the Germans had all been chased out. Mm. I just don't. Why do they do that? Why do the Nazis always got to? They always show up. It's like the first thing they do is change the decor. Well, it's because they uh, are unoriginal, and what they want to mm. do is they want everybody. They want to rewrite history. You know, it's uh, we're gonna get yeah, in the, yeah, into, yeah, yeah. into that here in a little bit, like how they truly tried to rewrite history. Uh, but if they stamp everything with swastikas enough, then people will start to think, oh, swastikas have always been there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that it's a subconscious um, thing. Like, oh, the Nazis must have done that. It's got a swastika on it. Absolutely, it doesn't take long. Yeah, and with that, also had its first victory in their mission to secure a nuclear physicist who'd been floating in the wind. Now, by the fall of 1944, the Manhattan Project was still a little less than a year out from even successfully testing a bomb, Hmm. and they still had no clue where the Germans might be building it or how far along they were. See, even though it was almost certain that the Allies were on track for victory on the European front, an atomic bomb could still be a silver bullet of sorts for the Nazis. Of course. Yeah. At the very least, if they didn't have enough to hold the world hostage, they could also use that atomic weapon to make the largest suicide bomb in history. You got that. And then, of course, as we know, with forementioned Scientology, their fantastic film, Battlefield Earth, Leverage. (laughs) They get the bomb, that deal coming out of WW2 would look a fuck ton different. Yeah. Oh, it would. And then they are also, we were very concerned about just them under using radiation poisoning in general. Just like between the dirty bombs or just leaving uranium out. Like you just would leave it and drop it off places because you don't, there's no... You can't smell or taste mm-hmm. or feel radiation poisoning. It just happens to you. So it's there's a whole interesting chapter in the Bastard Brigade about the geologists that helped figure out like how we could find out things are if if areas were nuclear mm-hmm. before we went to it because they thought that they would just start throwing uranium places and poisoning our advance as a matter like, of, as we as went. a matter of fact i think this is a great job for wild bill uh, bill why don't you go lick the mountain for a while and see if you get uh dead now licking what is licking? with your tongue what you do with your wife perhaps kind of lingus okay now this is You mean my mouth penis? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, your mouth penis. Just go lick the mountain and see if there's uranium in it. Yeah, I guess uh, I should because I'm just a shadow. And that's what became of those people. Yeah. Isn't that sad? (laughs) Well, to the point of the uranium, it was known that the Germans were in possession of hundreds of tons of the stuff. Hmm. See, when Germany conquered Belgium, they gained access to all of Belgium's colonies. These territories included the Congo, which had the largest uranium mines in the entire world. But once Belgium was liberated in September of 1944, Pash tracked down a good amount of uranium, 30 tons. Wow. That's a lot of fucking uranium. That is a lot. It is. That uranium was then sent to the United States where it was processed. And funnily enough, yeah. here's a fun little bit of trivia for you. All right. 
That's the uranium that was used in the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Wow! Now that's some fun trivia! Wow, good! Yeah, from Belgium to Baden-Baden to to Los Alamos, straight to Japan. That's where my oma and opa lived was Baden-Baden. Really? Yes, I was many times in the Black Forest. (laughs) It was very fun, beautiful forest. Gorgeous land, gorgeous land, actually. Well, we'll actually get to the Black Forest here in a bit. You can possibly reminisce a little bit. I had fantastic memories. We would go find castles. Mm, It's cool. Do they have a thing called, I feel like, because they went through it's the the lines that they use are actually very similar to the Nazi rat lines that they use later on because America would also travel to Europe via South America. It was very interesting. They have to go from the trampoline to freedom to bounce that uranium all the way around the world to get back to America. And the problem was it was known that the Nazis had been in possession of a thousand tons of uranium. Okay. 970 tons were still unaccounted for. That's a lot. The mission of finding it was given to Boris Pash, who would take the rest of the war to accomplish that mission. Wow. So he's better than Hans Blix. Yeah. Oh, my. Remember that? WMDs. He's going to find that yellow cake, my friend. Meanwhile, the Allies were also closing in on Werner Heisenberg. His secret lab was located deep within... Germany's Black Forest. Uh oh, that's where bears can talk and lions roar <laughs> and cats are people and God, there's more food than ever before. Uh, Heisenberg is such a little bitch. As a, you wrote a whole paper, like so, we got into philosophy during this time period while he was working on the bomb because his whole thing was trying. He wrote an entire paper basically exonerating himself. Well, how he I made mean, himself. He's philosophically, it. he wrote a paper basically saying philosophically. I'm just a scientist. And these sciences, you can't attach anything, any sort of meaning to this science. And he did a whole, like, it was like a 300-page book about why Jesus. he was innocent. Well, you know, I do understand from a scientist perspective, I don't necessarily think that they have ill intent. Mm-hmm. They just want to, they just do it. They create the art or, they were you know, the science. Atomic bomb. They, were the they were making an atomic bomb. They were making an atomic bomb for the Nazis. The Nazis. God, I they knew it was, be- they weren't making this in a vacuum. Let's they knew exactly exactly where the bomb was going. beauty of the Black Forest, more. <laughs> the trees are very big. And there's little rocks you can climb. Uh, and there's I'd a imagine. bunch of bugs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you find any, like, allied bodies out there? Like, German bodies? Like, Nazi bodies? No, didn't find any Whoa. Nazi bodies. Like, no. Nazi gold? Like Nazi loot? Nope, didn't find any Nazi loot. We, there was a castle, which, which was a cafe. Um, and uh, you can find that that's just a place on the side of the road. No, it's it was in the, it was in it was in the Black Forest, but yes, it was a touristy. Yeah, but then there was other stuff. Yeah, fun stuff, fun stuff. Right from your grave. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Well, for the kidnap Heisenberg mission, the OSS chose a guy named Carl Eifler, who was pretty much the stereotype of the tough-as-nail, special-forces spy soldier who snapped necks and broke hearts, all while being a family man. (laughs) The worst thing is, man, I loved you, and then you're going to go and kill me? Yeah. He's sort of like Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, that sort of guy. This is my... 
I'm going to ask this to our audience. Side stories, L-P-O-T-L at gmail.com. Every single Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, there is a beautiful woman all over that man. Yeah. Can you imagine being kissed <laughs> by Arnold Schwarzenegger? I feel oh, like yeah. there is nothing less sexy. I think it's not about the muscles. It's about that big fucking Are you, face. He has no legs. He has no legs. Getting, Are he you, has wait no a second. No, I'm it's not going to allow closer this. closer going, <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> no, pierogi boy and can't. No. You're such a plastic <laughs> This is absolutely, pierogi boy and can't breathe over here. No. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is an iconic <laughs> sex icon. Like literally a sex icon. He is? And, are you fucking am I insane? Am I literally insane? I, I'm coming. <laughs> he de- redefined what masculinity is for but an entire generation. Get to the job, I'm coming. You, I, just, I think this is wow, that's so adorable that you guys actually think for one second a woman is turned off by Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> a man who has only succeeded at every single thing he's ever done. Yeah. And if he was allowed to run for president, would win. But masculinity has nothing I'm to a, do with sexuality, and oh his sexuality has nothing to do with him succeeding. He's you merely. Are so An immigrant success story, Ben. Wrong. Another yes. reason why he's hot. <laughs> Side stories, LP. No, you guys are just so wrong. I mean, the body, yeah, but the head, come on. It's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's are you, am I? Okay. He has no you know lips. What? I'm not even. He has no lips. I am not going. I'm going like to. Come close. Am I wrong? I Fernando, I no. He is literally. You me at hello. He's literally one of the most. He's considered one of the I most sexy human beings that's ever. Having. He's, it's just, wow. It's just wow that you guys would even think for a second to, to, to wow. Yeah, of course he has hot women. Yeah. Yeah, have you, again, I'm, I'm not gay. He apologized gay. for grabbing butts. He did. He apologized for uh, grabbing he butts. Did. He did, recently. Right. Yeah. Well, Carl Eifler, he had made his reputation in a mission that seemed to be a forerunner for quite a few future CIA operations. Hmm. See if you can tell a pattern here. <laughs> Okay. Hmm. In 1943, Eifler had led 10,000 Burmese citizens in hit-and-run attacks against Japanese forces. At the end of it, the Japanese lost 15,000 troops, hmm. while Eifler had lost only 85. Oh, I don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of similarities there at all with what the CIA would later yeah, do. Yeah, I could be wrong, but it seems like Eifler's hmm. mission was the template for using local forces to advance American interests, hmm. whether it be the huh. CIA's early role in Vietnam as military advisors, the securing of corporate interests in South America for the United Fruit Company, flipping Iran to a theocracy, hmm. supporting Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan, or any of the others in the vast menagerie of CIA goof-em-ups. Don't forget about Saddam. Uh, don't and about Saddam. Then, what is this? So forty three. So it was. It started in forty seven. The CIA. So yeah, we're right. They're just about to start fucking a bunch of shit. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go and say and say no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's got nothing to do with. Yeah, nothing to do with it. They also yeah, did a whole bunch. Nah. I covered this on series, the Lavender Scare. Yeah, where they lumped a bunch of gay people in with communists. There was a bunch of the CIA started off hot. Yeah, they did start and off they, real hot. But that's uh, I was thinking about they it because really of the pride tweet that they had the audacity the to tweet out <laughs> the CIA. Don't worry, they're pride. But I was thinking because it's very similar to the Benny Gesserit plan in Dune, where they would go ahead and plant planets with archetypal religious stories that would work their way into their culture. And then later on, they would go to complete those religious ideals in a way that was completely manufactured to gain control over the population. What does it have to do with Dune? Um, Something. 
Okay. It's tangent. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm fighting a one-man war against the state. <laughs> it is me versus Florida versus what? my mother's garage. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I think it. I think really what this is, it's a lot like as it went with rooting out the communists. Mm, Many yes. of the ways in which America fucked up massively throughout the 20th century and beyond, a lot of that shit had its roots in World War II because a lot of those methods worked at least once. And so they sure. figure if it worked in World War II, it can work again. Ugh. But the thing is, is that we keep hitting our fucking heads against the wall over and over again, trying the same shit that worked in the 40s and mm. expecting it to still work today. It's also against like the most pure black and white enemies we've ever had. So it's like you all of the templates are incorrect. Yeah. Like it's like they did all of this shit. And it's like, no, World War Two was this one. What? seven year period that was the actually that all of that shit was in play and then that's it but the, yes we have just been we are we're we just in love with ourselves yeah they're we? still stiffing our butts about world war ii well hey why not we'll take it we'll take it i'll take a little butt sniffing on that they say uh history we've lost four wars since <laughs> we, we lost but you know four what wars. we've had four wars too and isn't that important? Isn't it, isn't it isn't better, that important? Isn't it How better much money have, has been made? And isn't it better to have had a war to and lose it than to yeah. never have the war yeah. at all? But it does seem as You're if right. even if we lose, yeah. a lot of people seem to win. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, we're talking about Carl Eifler here. Yes. After he was done leading the Burmese against the Japanese, he was sent back to America, and that's where he met Wild Bill Donovan. Mm. And Wild Bill gave Eifler the assignment of kidnapping Werner Heisenberg. Now, the plan put together for Eifler began with a ruse where Eifler would pose as an American customs agent traveling to Switzerland. Okay. Once there, he would meet a team of commandos, break into Heisenberg's lab, knock Heisenberg out, okay. smuggle him to Switzerland, steal a plane, uh -huh. and fly back to England. Why does this sound exactly like the plan from uh, Mallrats <laughs> that Silent Bob has <laughs> yeah. to get the goddamn... It's very similar. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But this was vetoed by Eifler because he also hated the British. Refused okay. to work with them. Man, these British guys, I don't know what they did to make everybody so mad. I don't know, I don't know what I happened. No one likes what they did during World War II. They none of them are happy with it. Yeah. I they were good. They tried. Churchill was fine. No, yeah. Churchill was I don't think not he was fine. funny as that stupid movie made him out to be. No, no. They, I mean, you know, and they were quite resilient, you know, during the Blitz and all that. They they were very resilient. Dunkirk was a was I mean it was huge. I mean, it was a a, a defeat, to be sure. It was a huge defeat. Churchill uh, massive fucking defeat. every but it was a good story. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes you see you have, it's better to have had a war and loss yeah, than not, <laughs> never had one. Remember the Alamo. Churchill literally <laughs> it peak war every day, 3 p.m. He had to take a nap. Yeah. Every he did. Yeah, he did. Hey, but that got him through. I he I, didn't do anything. <laughs> He's like Bill Gates just bought the IP. He did not no, Churchill no, didn't do shit. No, he no. killed There's so many, many people. Uh, no, no, you got to smoke a cigar. You got to have the, the bowler hat. Yes. He did a lot of stuff. The war was hard. I only had a nap for a half hour today. <laughs> and he, But, you know, he started every day with a scotch, drank a lot of brandy. That's also brandy. That's more to my point. I can do that. <laughs> Gissel, I think that you should get lower the rage and see more of yourself in Winston Churchill and how you will one day be a true leader of men because yeah. that's all it takes. I can't mm -hmm. wait for the knock on the door when you guys are both there and it's called something like an intervention because I've been channeling my inter inter Winston <laughs> Churchill by getting hammered <laughs> at 10 a.m. I'm just Winston Churchilling Churchill. right now. <laughs> Start sneaking red wine into my Diet Coke bottles. 
Well, instead of the British plan, <laughs> I just your teeth or your lips are just purple uh, all day. Nice thing is they have no idea I'm fucking hammered. <laughs> Well, instead of the British plan, Eiffler designed an even wackier plan okay. where he would impersonate a German general. <laughs> After parachuting in, he would find a German general's outfit. Uh-huh. He'd, find it, he'd impersonate a German general. Then on brass balls alone, he'd kidnap Heisenberg and bring Heisenberg back to America himself. So what Chris Farley and David Spade did. Come with did, me if you want to live. <laughs> yeah. What? Come with me. The, one of the sexiest men alive. I will go with you and we can come together. Come with me. Damn, gross and misinterpretation of Arnie's accent, but uh, Tommy Boy, David Spade, Chris Farley had to get on that plane. I've got a plan, and then they uh, they take the uh, stewardess uh, outfit there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> It really is there is, is there nothing to do with it. Is there an old lady taking a nasty shit anywhere? Can you can you connect that to this story at all? That was a well, big now part. you know I'm thinking Prune Brothers. That was a big part of that scene, remember? When the, oh, the old yeah, lady, the went old and lady the taking a nasty shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, Good Lord. it does seem and I don't wanna, you know, again, it does seem like he's gonna be racist though. <laughs> because you're going to go and, and you're going to try to be a German. I would love to see what he does as just like put sauerkraut in his beard. Just <laughs> God. Oh, yeah. Now, when Eifler asked what he should do with Heisenberg, if the two of them were captured by Nazis, Donovan gave him full permission to shoot Heisenberg in the head. Oh, awesome. However, it soon became clear that Eifler's plan was a bit far fetched, not to mention quite dark. So the operation was handed over to a group that included Mo Berg. Oh. Yeah, that's the thing. You're going to this guy, and his only concern is about, like, he's just excited to shoot somebody in yeah, the head. Right. And, and you're like, because then he's sitting there because, like, I can always shoot. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we know. Yeah. We I, know. And he's like, listen, his head's right there. What if I strangle him? <laughs> it's like, you know, you yeah, sure, a lot of options. We prefer him safe. But what if I drown him? If we get in him and if you can run a bath, tell him I'm going to make him relax and then I kill him. You know, it's good to have that as an option. Yeah. Yeah. Well, heading up that team was a Swiss physicist named Paul Scherer, codename Flute. <laughs> Flute had been friends with Heisenberg. So he, Mo, and another scientist named Samuel Goudsmith formulated a plan to meet Heisenberg at a conference in Zurich. Did he whistle when he talked? Like, guys, please don't call me Flute. I can't do it, but you know. He could have had a huge fucking cock. Oh, yeah. Ah, but skinny and long. Yeah. Hmm. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Once they were at this conference in Zurich, they figured they could interrogate Heisenberg on the spot or kidnap him or maybe kill him. But they, what they really needed was to gain intelligence on the German nuclear program. What if I take a little bomb and I put it in his food? It goes down his yeah. stomach and explodes his belly. Another good idea. Another good idea. Let's try to keep him alive just for now. Yeah, to the chopper! No. That, however, like almost all things also, soon became unnecessary. Hmm. Yeah. This is whole This whole thing is about unnecessary shit. Right. <laughs> it, just, it just could have been cool. Yeah. During the liberation of France, a treasure trove of documents were found at the Reich University at Strasbourg, which was located right across the border from Germany. This Reich University was one of three whose main purposes were to spread propaganda and indoctrinate students in Nazi ideology. Hmm. If the Nazis had won, this would be where Mengele would have gone to teach after the war. See, it's just like CRT, what they're doing with our kids now. It's just like that. It's just like Nazi Germany. 
trying to explain racial disparities of the past. It's just like Nazi Germany. <laughs> but so-called Aryan physics had been taught at the Reich University as well. What are Aryan physics? Is it, was, it different than other physics? It's, it's dumb different shit. from Ju- it's literally dumb shit physics. They did actually tell that, like, they told Heisenberg that he wasn't allowed to teach the Jew physics of Albert Einstein. He had to teach Aryan physics. It's instead. physics. It doesn't know your nationality. Basically, they were not allowed to because most of the Jewish population, the scientist community were the ones that created all the stuff about quantum mechanics. And that changed the face of physics. But they, the Nazis didn't like it because a Jewish person came up with it. So they, they were like, no, we use Euclidean physics here. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. Physics. Perpetual motion. Mm-hmm. Drop a feather. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the professors at the Reich University was the son of the Nazi Secretary of State. His name was Karl von Weissacker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mama. And he regularly corresponded with Werner Heisenberg. Well, soon into the search, also scientist Samuel Goutsmith found letters that contained Heisenberg's address and telephone number. Wow. Maybe don't put that on the letters? (laughs) But most importantly, the letters clearly stated that the Nazis hadn't made progress on their nuclear program since 1942. This, this is, is 1944. So this is like Brett Favre texting the governor of Mississippi being like, do you think this is illegal? <laughs> when they like literally they put it in like everything is fucked. We're totally failing. Yeah. Anyway, here's a letter. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what but, fucking happened. But the problem is that the Groves was like, the thing about these Nazis, all they do is 40 chess. <laughs> it's a lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. And you're like, it's, uh, yeah. he's not incorrect. This entire yeah. section of Manhattan Project is truly, not to be it, they, they were correct too, but they overestimated the Nazis. There's a lot of people that really assumed that the Nazis were like, just about to fuck up everybody at all times and that they were this like unstoppable machine but they didn't really understand up to that point it's like no nah, actually mostly it was a lot of like incoherent psychopaths and dweebs that just fucked everything up again and again and again from the inside out but at the same time the nazis were also highly dangerous and very scary very, like, like very absolutely yeah, and yeah. their shit what well, i mean the blitzkrieg was fucking terrifying you know yeah and dude the, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they didn't know that it's just a bunch of fucking meth heads and tanks, right. you know, which is yeah. even scarier in some scary. ways. Yeah. yeah. It's sweet tooth, yeah. you know, from Twisted Metal. Actually, we kind of stole that's very now very American. That's how <laughs> I view that now. It's just like because you just let meth go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That would be a great arm. Well, because General Groves dismissed the letters as disinformation, hmm. neither the production of the bomb nor the hunt for Heisenberg slowed down for a second. Oppenheimer, meanwhile, wasn't doing Groves' paranoia any favors. He started speculating. He started saying, hey, you know, now that I think about it, maybe the Germans aren't enriching uranium the same way that we're doing it. Hmm. Maybe they don't need these big factories that we're having to use to build this stuff. Maybe, now that I'm really thinking about it, maybe this science is so new that this German atomic bomb could be built like anywhere like with witchcraft I'll be, all right i'm gonna tell you never i'll be honestly i i don't need this shit right now okay i am i really i just just i'm already just kind of i'm i'm like doing a bunch of shit at once yeah, but if you like think you know about I mean? but if you feel like, i'm not think i'm a like, general not a specific i don't know how to do it i don't know what else i don't know what you're saying <laughs> You know, you think too much. Happy. <laughs> I need you to just think this direction. I need you to just think in another way. But it is good to be okay. scared. 
<laughs> keep, keep you on your toes. It's war. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fit to be scared. Yeah. Yeah. But tragically for the Alsos mission scientists at the Reich University, hmm. they stumbled upon an entirely different kind of Nazi research in their quest for atomic knowledge. See, the Reich University had been the home of Heinrich Himmler's Ananerbe Institute, a.k.a. the Legacy of Ancestors. Mm. Der Ananerbe were the guys who... Oh, is it, that was not the new, like, add-on to Elder Scrolls? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. It's a $100, 30-minute extra piece of land. Well, Der Ananerbe were the guys who went on archaeological expeditions all over the world. These were the guys that went to Tibet, the ones who went to Ukraine. These were the guys these who are were, Nazis? These are Nazis. You know, Benny, how difficult these it is Nazis. to be a Nazi in Tibet? Because there's all these people being like, you don't have to do that. The not, the symbol is Buddhist. You don't exist. <laughs> it's a Buddhist yeah, symbol. You don't exist. So literally, they did see a bunch of Nazi symbols, but they probably was just Buddhist. Well, I mean, well, that's okay. You just kind of broke my brain in trying to explain that. Um, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's what they were trying to prove. I'm, try, I'm trying to, to un, I'm trying to untie that knot, and I'm not sure. Yeah, can Henry help me out? Basically, the Nazis were kind of banking on that, which is why they stole it in the first place, and then they went there to kind of backwards prove that everything that they said about being a Nazi was correct, and that it was like this natural thing, and it was this powerful force, and it came from the universe itself, and that so they used that to retroactively. When you we were seeing the swastika, most of Europe did not know that it was this ancient other symbol. So then they would go and use this school to ba- to cover all of these ancient things and see, look, you see, no, we've always been there. Yeah. These guys right. are all ancient Nazis. Yeah, they can go, they went gotcha, and they, gotcha. they, they measured like the noses and the faces and Good, the bone yeah. structure of Tibetans and to try to prove, because it's the thing is that these guys were high on their own bullshit. They believed what they were teaching. They were, get, all this shit was coming down from him. Because they had to. Yeah, they absolutely they literally had to. fucking had to. And they were there for also involved heavily in Heinrich Himmler's occult studies. Mm. All of this shit was tied in with the Thule Society. But in their attempt to prove the racial superiority of Aryans, members of Himmler's Ananerbe mutilated and dissected human beings and even kept a collection of Jewish skeletons sourced from the Dachau concentration camp. Once the Alsos team opened the doors to the Institute, the legacy of ancestors, mm. they found severed human limbs left behind in mid-dissection. And they were faced with giant tanks full of alcohol containing floating human corpses. This is a scene from Wolfenstein. Yeah, it is. Wolfenstein and also uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, Dr. Satan. This is just nasty. Yeah. Well, most likely those corpses have been a result of the polygol experiments. In these, a victim will be given a tablet of a substance called polygol, which was made from beets and apples. Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Ooh, so it's organic. Yeah, at this point. So it can be sold at Erewhon. It's not that bad at this point, but. The victims would then be shot through the neck or the chest, or they would have mm. their limbs amputated without anesthetic while they were still alive all to see what effect polygol might have on blood coagulation. What effect did it have? Uh, Nothing. It's beets and apples. Yeah, why? why I don't... What, yeah. What's even the... This is the Nazi side? Well, this is Nazi physics? All I know is, if you take 15 of them, your poo-poo gets all crazy. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I never know. And sometimes I forget that I took it the night before. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, shit, I have cancer. I have cancer. <laughs> right. And then it's just been like, oh, no, I was taking my beet pills. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> These corpses could have also been a result of the Nazis' extreme pressure and temperature experiments, which rivaled the experiments performed by Japan's Unit 731 in their savagery. Mm. This was the type of stuff to see, like, how high can pilots go? How much frost can they yeah. take? How much Ooh. heat can they take? Like, these were some of... These were, yeah... Unit 731 it's type the shit. It's the wet hands and the freezing cold temperatures being hit with the stick. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. All oh, those things are so nasty. Yeah, some of the scientists who saw this shit, they had to go home. Like, yeah, I, like, would, I would go home. Yeah, Samuel, Samuel Goutsman had a mental breakdown. And he just had yeah. to, he just said, like, I got to go home. Because he's going to go home. Yeah. 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 Meanwhile, Mo Berg is just going like, the thing is, that's why you got to switch pitches. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because at the end, your first pitch, you got to have that relief pitcher. Yeah. That's Mo, not, this has nothing right, to do with baseball, Mo. Nothing to do with baseball. No, listen. Oh, God all right, damn it. a severed hand is kind of like a catch. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> now, let me tell you how you got to do it. You got to be careful. Now, right as Germany was engaging in their last-ditch effort to drive back the Americans and push the British into the sea, that was the Battle of the Bulge, the Nazi media began suggesting that this was when they would finally use an atomic bomb, mm. which would win the war in an instant. This was actually a genius bit of propaganda because an atomic bomb would have been just about the only way for Germany to win the Battle of the Bulge. The most capable German soldiers were by this time either captured or dead, and the army was near the end of their resources and equipment capabilities. The German people knew all of this. The Manhattan Project, however, wasn't taking any chances. No. They were still on the Heisenberg case, and on December 18th, Heisenberg gave a lecture to 20 fellow physicists, and the audience was Mo Berg, who had concealed on his person a Beretta pistol. Ooh, cool. Yes, he put it inside his giant extravagant wig, <laughs> and then he had a lasso inside of his beautifully laced corset as he was dressed as the absolutely sensuous Velvely Roberti, <laughs> an Italian mistress yes. of propaganda. In no way a former catcher for the White Sox. <laughs> Ciao. I'm here to take you out on a date. I heard you like physics. <laughs> Well, Moe's assignment was simply to just kill Heisenberg after the lecture. We're not going to get him. We're not going to yeah, kidnap oh yeah. him. Just, just fucking kill him. But by the end of Heisenberg's two-hour talk, Moe Berg just couldn't do it. He wasn't a murderer. Oh, yeah. come on, Mo! This is why you never won the big World Series. <laughs> Dude, do you have any idea how many assassination attempts were stopped against Celine Dion? Once she hit, it's all coming back to me now. And yeah. they're sitting there and they're just being like, I can't kill this incredible woman. Well, I just really hope that Celine's doing well. She has a severe illness. She does. Her so. bones are turning. Her bones are calcifying. <laughs> yep. It sounds like a horrific, I, yes, horrific so. I chose a random name. Yes. I literally just, I, it just came from the ether. I forgot that she she's has a got real illness. Like so frozen real. syndrome. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. She, I know this. I'm sorry. Is it locked in? I, I think just, she has like locked in or something. It's, it's, it's slowly becoming yeah. locked God, in. I wouldn't make jokes about her. It's locked out syndrome. I mean, it's bad taste beyond. I think it's horrible. No, it's almost no, like no, someone no. from it's Florida would say that. Right now, they're gonna they're looking for a proper locksmith because she has locked out syndrome, uh, which means she can't get back into her own yeah, brain. Wow! And she's just watching it from the side. It's really very sad. I should have chose Michael Bublé. Yeah. yeah, Michael Bublé. Hot down there in Florida, huh? Really hot down I just, there. I must. Bublé. I must sleep. I am on a bed. I chat. My my parents got a futon on discount, and I am. It's a slant. I'm sleeping at a 20, 25 to thirty degree slant. Like I'm. Like I am mm. in one of those air prisons. Wow. 
on the side of a mountain. All right. All right. I woke up pooled at the end of my own bed. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm sore. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a bu- I saw a bunch of pictures of myself at 300 pounds. Right, right. I just need to move forward today. Yeah, absolutely. You're having a rough go of it. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. (laughs) Well, Mo couldn't bring himself to kill Heisenberg, so he took a less violent route. Flute hosted a dinner party in Heisenberg's honor, and that was where a much simpler plan was enacted. Okay. They were going to get him drunk and see if they could get him to talk about the atomic bomb. That's so much nicer than killing him. It's It's like so (laughs) much nicer. What if we we could kill him? Literally, Mo Berg is sitting there. Mo Berg is literally like, can we, all right, I'll put a bottle in his brain, or we could have a party. (laughs) Yeah. Huh. Feed him a bunch, get him drunk. Uh, oh, oh. Uh, I get two. I get some. Heisenberg's like, what about the other idea? That second idea is fun. <laughs> a dinner party. But Heisenberg was more interested in talking about Nazis and how they related to his beloved Germany. Well, yeah, he honestly pontificated again about why he's innocent. Yeah. Mm. After his tongue was loosened by wine, Heisenberg said that the good people of Germany were being demonized. The Nazis, they was the last bulwark between civilized Europe and this coming red horn. And besides, the Nazis hadn't really done that bad stuff to the Jews. Yeah, really nothing more Ooh. civilized than attempting to take out an entire continent. <laughs> that is so civilized. No, he's a full, he's a full apologist. Yeah. Finally, though, after all that blustering, Heisenberg admitted that Germany was going to lose the war. Mm. However, he still said, quote, But it would have been so good if we had won. That's it? <laughs> Yeah, but it would have been good if we would have won. That's it. Everyone's dead, yeah. and then your yeah, response is, "But it would have been good if we would have won." <laughs> Everything. He's the Sarah Jessica Parker of the Nazi Party. Every single thing is about Heisenberg. Right. <laughs> it can't, it's all about him and what he's dealing with at all times. Hitler's yeah. like his Mister Big. And are they going to get back together? Or aren't they? <laughs> I don't know. I actually kind of feel like. He might be closer to a Kim control. Hmm. Oh, sexy. Well, Heisenberg's thing was that he loved Germany. That he was apparently he loved Germany so much that he figured it's like, well, when the Nazis, you know, yeah, well, let the Nazis have a good time, and then they'll tie themselves out, and then after that, and Germany will get back to normal. But then Germany will be on top of the world, which is what we should have been doing in the first place. Oh, this is like if you go on a date and they just start talking about Andrew Tate. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, just shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's like love. And she's like, I love this carousel. Yeah, my mom's getting raped on it. <laughs> but I love the carousel. Like, I just love the horses and I love the poles. Yeah, again, taking aggression out on his mother. Mm. <laughs> just again, it was just a random relationship that I yeah. assume this is not written. I don't follow a script. Right. This is just me making shit up in a room in Florida. It's been a slow meltdown, hasn't it? <laughs> slow? <laughs> I mean... A slow melting? <laughs> it feels like a very rapid yeah. melt. Yeah. I feel like a Zycam under the tongue. A lot going on in this episode. Well, in the end, Heisenberg still kept his wits about him to keep quiet about the bomb. Okay. And when Berg reached deep down once again, they said, if you can't get him to talk at the party, you're going to have to kill him. Ugh. He still couldn't do it. <laughs> Mo, uh, this is the one I, man, he had a chance, but he has a chance to get one. He can actually get a righteous murder. Not easy to get he one. He has soft skills. He has soft skills. He's a talker. He's a charismatic. He's a he's a spy, not an assassin. And I really do mm. think that there's an inherent difference yeah. because yeah. you have to, because Eiffler was the assassin. If you want to get that dude has been thinking about different ways to kill this guy and fuck the hotel maid <laughs> all day. Like he's ready to go. All yeah, right. Live from your grave. 
At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Now, after the Allies won the Battle of the Bulge, it was all but over for the Nazis. But behind the troops overrunning Germany was Boris Pasch, who was still on the lookout for those 970 tons of missing uranium. Yeah. See, since the Nazis were kaput, Boris's mission was no longer about preventing the Germans from building the bomb. Rather, it was about keeping the Russians from finding the uranium. Yeah, so quick the friend turns to an enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, by this time, Germany had already been split up into the four zones controlled by the Allies, and it was discovered that the uranium was in the Soviet-controlled zone. Pash had therefore made it his own personal crusade hmm. to secure the uranium for America to keep it out of the hands of the godless communists. Wow, and you know it's American uranium. They put a little flag on it, and they listen to some good old-fashioned Carter sisters. <laughs> <laughs> well, the higher-ups soon agreed and said to hell with the Russians. So in less than a week, Pash organized 260 vehicles packed with men who all worked together to steal 970 tons of uranium right out from under the Soviets' noses. Where do you put it? Do they have Jinkos? Uh, how do you get How do you get all that out? <laughs> they loaded it up into tr- 960 trucks. Wow. They brought, he brought in nine, because, you know, it's Ger- Germany in 1944. It's fucking chaos right. everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Now, this, of course, made the Soviets furious because they'd been planning on using that uranium ore for their own nuclear program. Oh, guys, come on. That was for our nuclear program. Yeah. And while it would be an oversimplification to say that Boris Pash started the Cold War, he does have the dubious distinction of being one of the men who fired the first symbolic shots. All right. He was happy to contribute. (laughs) Now, even though Alsos was ultimately unneeded when it came to the Manhattan Project because Germany had no chance of making a bomb, Moe, Boris, and the rest of the crew nevertheless ended up serving an important function. It was pretty much in the same ballpark as the mission to steal the uranium. See, when the war was nearing its end, Alsos had already been on the hunt for members of Germany's uranium club. So when the dust began to settle the Americans were perfectly positioned to scoop up as many nuclear physicists as they could find. I just imagine it's like, you know, those things where you have to catch all the dollar bills. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like the thing when, you know, when they're shooting up everywhere, but it's just like, you know, screaming Germans. But you know what you do there? You would let the dollar bills come to you. Uh, Press yourself against the wall, yes. allow it to amass around you. Yes. <laughs> Now, this wasn't necessary to the Manhattan Project because, as opposed to our space program, the Nazis had absolutely nothing to offer us in terms of atomic knowledge. At this point, Oppenheimer's right on the cusp of building a working prototype. Yeah, remember, yada, 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 they've been doing a lot of science. Yeah. Weren't, weren't the Germans still trying to, like, convert shit into gold? Uh, alchemy? Yeah, weren't they, like, wasn't Hitler into alchemy? I, well, they were building the big, bo- they had the big gun. Yeah. I forget, with the V3. So they had that giant, like, what was supposed to be this 
meters long gun that yeah. shot nine foot bullets. And apparently Hitler, what they would talk about is that he loved giant works. Yeah. So like yeah, anytime you told him that the most concrete that ever been poured in Eastern Europe, it's like he loved to hear that. So that's where he was focusing a lot of his energy because he said he had a dream at first. He had a dream that the V2 program wouldn't work. And so he halted everything because he had this dream. And Albert Speer had to like come and convince Hitler like he was the quote unquote reasonable Nazi that would say like, hey, we have to think about all of these things because, you know, it's kind of important. I know your dreams are great. Adolf, we love them. Yeah. Everybody loves them here. But that's where they were pouring all of their resources in yeah. was this thing of just trying because they were trying to one program they had was to attach a bomb to a tiny plane that would attach to a big plane so they could fly it across the Atlantic to drop the another plane to bomb New York because he was obsessed with bombing New York. Yeah. You really wanted to bomb New York. We're going to big plane to drop a little plane that has a big bomb. Makes all the sense yes. in the world. Well, the point of bringing the Uranium Club members to our side was that we didn't know what they knew. And if we kept these Nazis on ice, it would prevent them from being captured by the Soviets. This mission came to be known as Operation Big. At the same time, though, General Groves and the rest were starting to realize that those letters from Heisenberg that were found at the Reich University those were genuine. Hmm. When Alsos caught up to Uranium Club member Walter Botha, he proudly showed off the cyclotron that he'd just gotten running by war's end. <laughs> See? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Right on time, pal. Mm. Also, Operation Big, 13-year-old makes a wish on a boardwalk, becomes a man, and then is technically... Raped by a woman. Did she sleep with him or did she, he just she fill her up? She had sex with him and she thought that his boyish character was charming. He was a boy indeed. He was indeed a boy. I'd be fucking pissed off. you really off. take the movie apart, it really is very sad. Also, there's another movie, 13 going on 30. I don't, there's something wrong with Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's weird. Holly weird. They seem to love the 13, but like pretend they're older. Yeah. It's a, it was back in the day. It was back in it the was day. like 10 years. No. Anyway, we'll go on. I mean, I would say it's more to do with, you know, wanting to play to the adolescent fantasies of the audience that a 13 year old would like to see what if I was big and got to sleep with that woman instead of it being an indictment on their own personal well, fantasies of being a, an older 13, woman because there weren't a, really uh, any older women that were in charge in Hollywood. As a 13 year old who was big, it's fucking a nightmare. <laughs> So you're just supposed to be an adult, but then you're not. So, <laughs> Well, Samuel Goldsmith, when he was shown Walter Botha's cyclotron, he could barely stifle a giggle because what Botha had built was an after-school science project compared to the cyclotrons that had been developed back in America. Wow. Even so, though, the top priority was to track down Heisenberg's so-called uranium machine and ultimately Heisenberg himself. Still in the wind. Now, after the Battle of the Bulge, Heisenberg's military exemption was revoked. Almost everyone left alive in Germany following the battle were drafted into the Volkssturm, the people's militia. Mm. This is just old men, women, little kids. They were all expected to die for Hitler in a symbolic mass suicide. Throw yourself. Ooh, about that, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how mass? How big? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Heisenberg, of course, had no interest in doing such a thing. So he teamed up with his buddy Carl von Weissacker <laughs> to continue atomic research on his own in the middle of a war zone. 
riding their bicycles through Germany and leaping to the side of the road to avoid bombs, Heisenberg and von Weissacker secured some heavy water. Then they biked the heavy water back to Heisenberg's secret lab that was in a cave near the village of Hagerlock. Okay. There, Heisenberg performed one last nuclear experiment, but it still fell short. Although this was the furthest the Nazi atomic bomb project ever got, Heisenberg never achieved a fully self-sustaining chain reaction. In fact, he had never even built anything as good as what the American team had built in Chicago three years earlier. The pile. Wow. However, I did just realize something. This is what he accomplished when he was left alone for two months. Two months. He's left alone in a cave. And this is what he accomplishes. Imagine if he wasn't in the middle of a fucking war zone. Imagine if he hadn't been forced to go to Nazi dinner parties and rallies and all that other bullshit. And they would have just left him alone like the Americans did with Oppenheimer. Put him in the desert and let him do his fucking thing. Sounds like the origin of Tony Stark and Iron Man by the movie's calculation. it, (laughs) It shows one of the true inherent flaws that are why... In the end, fascism is a non-sustainable government yeah. because when you're in that sort of ideologue center, you can't get like, yes, a lot of people who are quote unquote pro-fascist believe it's because, oh, they make simple decisions and then things can get done, quote unquote. But obviously they fucking don't no. because they're all so in love with themselves that no one, they can't get anything fucking done. They just end up with massive blocks of concrete. That's what that yes. was the legacy. That's all they had. That's what the legacy of the Third Reich and was pain. in Germany. And every and you notice it's all the stuff that they quote unquote that they did on a mass scale was just pain. Yeah, which is actually an extremely. You know, we talk about destroying things much easier Absolutely. than creating something. Like it's it's it, you know it's it doesn't take that much cleverness to create a place. It's a concentrated group of the place of pain. You know, like this is something else. And and I I just think Heisenberg's such a bitch. Yeah, he is a bitch. He absolutely Bold is. Old statements about that Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a bitch, but that does not mean he's any less brilliant. Unfortunately, sure. But when it became obvious, you know what? Though I'm actually say it does make him slightly less brilliant. It does. I think. I think his choices show. I mean, as your a personal person, choices show. Yeah. As a person, it does make in the a, whole. I'm I would, in the whole pie. In the whole pie. Okay. Yeah. So he's less emotionally intelligent because he's a narcissist and a half a sociopath. Yes. Um. But when it comes to pure scientific brilliance, he's one of the smartest men of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But he would have followed where the good science was, and he would have went with all the other scientists who ran away. Yeah. That's my other thing. A true good scientist would also say, oh, none, no good science is being done here. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, he was a bad person. Yeah. But well, he, he was... still, he wanted to have his, he wanted to eat his cake and have it too. R.I.P. Ted Kaczynski. His yellow Ooh. cake. Yeah. He, God. So <laughs> Another hero gone. Okay. <laughs> Who do we look to? But when it became obvious that all was truly lost and that either the Americans or the Soviets were on their way, Heisenberg and his team hid their assets and abandoned the cave lab. Boris Pash soon arrived and blew it up. So cool. Yeah. Then Pash began searching the nearby village for uranium club scientists. There he found Otto Hahn with his bags <laughs> packed. Yeah, he's just ready Hello. to go. Gotta go. Hello, yes, it's blue jean. Love blue jean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hahn directed Pash to 3,000 pounds of heavy water that Heisenberg had hidden in a mill just in case. He, they had fucking cut up two tons of uranium into cubes and hidden and buried them in a field. And as far as their technical reports went, 
Heisenberg had hidden them in an active septic tank. This is one of the this this right here is one of like one of the greatest quirks of history. When the tank was opened, the Alsos team found pretty much the entire archive of the Nazi atomic bomb project in what amounted to a big bucket of shit. Wow, that it's, is it's so ironic symbolic. Yes. It's so crazy. Oh my god, I'm surprised he didn't just dip his balls in it. <laughs> My news, that kind of party, I'd stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. Absolutely, the state, a successful television show, briefly. Hmm? Heisenberg, meanwhile, was surviving in the chaos. Yes, I remember the state. You remember I'll, I'll dip my balls in it. I'll dip my balls in it. Ken Marino, yeah. I mean, they might as well, because nothing they were doing was working. Yeah. Well, Heisenberg, meanwhile, was surviving in the chaos of Germany only by the grace of God and through bribery. Mm. Since he hadn't reported well, for the duty. In mostly the, the bribery. Mostly Let's the bribery, honest, yeah. yeah. Since he hadn't reported for duty in the Volkssturm, he was technically supposed to be executed on the spot for desertion. Wow. And indeed, an SS officer almost killed him for just that. But he was only stopped when Heisenberg bribed him with a carton of Pall Mall cigarettes. That's it. <laughs> that's all it takes. His, uh, life was a, his life was worth a carton of Pall Malls. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Soon after, Heisenberg arrived at his dilapidated family cabin in the Black Forest. That's where he found his furious wife. Oh, she was mad at him? Yeah, uh-huh. She was freezing, yeah. starving, and suffering from scarlet fever along with their six children. Well, go have fun with the talking bears and the coconut trees. <laughs> it's not real. It's not oh, real. No, it she is, was it is, a, it is a magical forest. It really is magical and deeply haunted. Deeply oh. haunted. But when Hitler committed suicide on May 1st, Henry's birthday. We got Congratulations, Same thing with Bin Laden. Osama Bin Laden we also got on, on my birthday. Wow, look at you. Werner and his wife broke out a bottle of wine and celebrated. It was all over because remember, the Nazis, he didn't like the Nazis. He just loved Germany. Also, Oppenheimer, as I said, July 21st, my birthday. When, is your birthday involved in this story? You know, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. No. I know. I don't You're know. Out. I'm out. Okay. Two out of three ain't bad. That's not bad at all. Well, they were clinging to the hope that all Germans clung to at this point in history. Pretty much, let's hope to God the Americans find us before the Soviets do. I thought you were going to say. Or they knew for a fact. He knew for a fact that Hitler had lived and moved his way to South America, and he knew that eventually he would come back to create the Ninth Reich. Mm-hmm. And that he, once he hit ninety and he had robot legs, mm-hmm. he would be able to really orchestrate mm-hmm. a, a new thing there. There you know? does have to be somebody being like synth music. There does have to be someone who's just like, what if they forget? <laughs> like, what if we just I, like truly, show up for work know. like we didn't quit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of actually in Germany, I've been doing a lot of research on it lately. And a lot of people in Germany did just try to forget. You have to. They just oh, yeah. like, I mean, they all just like. Try to move on. They didn't, they wouldn't talk about it. Like, that's why, you know, well, shit got real weird in Germany in the 60s because their kids were like, hey, so. What were you doing between 1933 and 1944? And most yeah, of them were like the kids came, and, and they uh, all almost universally, everyone would say, "You weren't there. You don't know it was what it was like." I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. Well, as it went, Boris Pash was indeed on his way. The day after Hitler died, Pash arrived after following a rumor, only to find that Werner had just left to go visit his mother. <laughs> Heisenberg's wife called him home and Pash made arrangements to have Heisenberg and his family taken into American custody. After that, Pash soon collected the remaining Nazi physicists, which in the end became the lasting legacy of Alsos. Hmm. 
They were successful in keeping every single member of the Uranium Club out of Soviet hands. Wow. And even though the Nazis were far behind in their atomic research, a mind like Heisenberg's could have easily brought the Russians up to speed if he'd had access to the intelligence that was being funneled out of Los Alamos by Soviet spies. Mm. Heisenberg, however, was still convinced that his experiment in atomic research was as far as anyone had gotten. It's so stupid. <laughs> as far as he was concerned, he was on the verge of a massive breakthrough. He was therefore excited to continue his work with the Americans. And as he put it, he was going to catch up the world on all this nuclear reactor business. All peace, all Wow, thank you so much. It was only when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima four months later that all the members of the Uranium Club realized just how far behind they'd been. Wow. And it's with the testing and dropping of that bomb that we'll continue our series on the Manhattan Project. All right. Holy hell. Long, strange trip it's been. And next week, we're finally going to get to all that melting you guys have been asking for. Yeah, what's it called? Frothing? Sloughing. 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 To to be fair, sloughing won't come until episode five. Uh, Next episode will be mostly vaporizing. Oh, vaporizing, vaporizing, getting super hot. You're going to be, you're going to love it. Again, I have this, there's one whole book that says it didn't happen. And I'm, I don't know how, yeah, why yeah. they think this. So I'm going to go through this whole thing. It's very strange, but it's God, man, mm-hmm. we're going to get into it. This is, this well, is when it gets real grisly. You know what I'm guys got, I'm putting my conspiracy hat on here. Not when it comes to this, cause it definitely happened, but moon landing. 50 50. 50 50. Okay. I'm going 50 50 on the moon landing. This is great. We have done so much work in the last four weeks that you (laughs) have literally just torn apart with one statement with Marcus sitting next to you on camera. Was the one statement to literally drag all of the. Marcus agrees with me. No, I don't agree. Hours of research. I don't agree with you, but I'll meet you halfway. And you know how I'm going to do that? 50 50. 50 50. I'll meet you halfway. We did land on the moon. But we the cameras, the we lost the footage, yep. and so we had to recreate it. Yeah, yep. about it's that? It's not real, buddy. It's we simply don't know. We simply don't know. We do know. We really don't know because we simply don't know. If you go up to Buzz Aldrin and you say that to him, he will suck you. I he watched a clip of right Buzz. Your- I watched a clip of Buzz saying it didn't happen. Yeah. And that was on Instagram. <laughs> and so that's like a mail service. Oh, actually, I didn't know that it was on Instagram. My favorite small epilogue from this episode is that when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Otto Hahn called Heisenberg a second raider. <gasps> yeah. nice. The highest insult you can give. Yeah. Okay, everyone. In Germany. Oh, and also Moberg went on to live. Like he just, after the war, he just stayed in Europe and kept drawing a paycheck from the OSS saying like, yeah, you know, I'm getting to the Russians. And he just fucking gallivanted around Europe for a few years and then hired an architect to argue with the CIA until he (laughs) died in his bed, a happy man. And his last words were, how'd the Mets do today? Oh, I love it. And uh, it's unfortunate they lost. Yeah. Yeah. And Boris Pash just became an asshole for the rest of his life. He was just in the CIA. I believe that. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Hope you're doing well. And do we have anything that we want to talk about? Oh, God. Any business? Let's not worry about it. Let's let these people go. You are now all... You are all let I free. I gotta get out of here. All right. Henry's <laughs> got to go take care of his mother. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail again. My constellations. Don't make a bomb. And if you got a minute, don't make a bomb. If you got a minute, hail me. Come on. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Try, try it on your way to the store. 
you know. On your way to the store, you go, it's all, just think about it. Just bless yeah. up. Because you never know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good idea. Hailing seems like a strange thing to do after this episode. Yeah, that's hailing. You're thinking, that's hailing. You're thinking, yeah, a, hi- yeah, you're thinking right. a hailing. That's Hugs a good point. Entirely different. That's thing. a good point. Good point. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real. But Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, 0 to 2 grams net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O dot C-O.